Gundam fight. Ready, go! Welcome back to the Kaiku Podcast. Chris and Chris are with me. Hello. Hi, everyone. And we are here to talk about Kurosawa's uh, Last Samurai Epic. Yes. All right. I don't really know what Rhapsody in August is about, so that's why I say it with a question mark. (laughs) (laughs) It will uh, probably be less epic than Ron, at least by reputation. Um, But yeah, we're talking about Ron, the... uh, I don't know why I try to say all these years. I never look it up because I always trust that Chris has already done this. Which I have. It's okay. Uh, what year does this come out, Chris? It's 1985. Okay. I uh, was actually, this is the first Kurosawa film that I was alive for. Yeah, okay. Um, so 1985 film uh, shot still beautifully in color. Like, uh, after all of this, Ghost of Tsushima, I jokingly made that Ghost of Tsushima tweet because it has the Kurosawa mode, and I saw someone play it in the Kurosawa mode, and it looked, like, so terrible, but, uh, uh, watching this and having that in mind, it's just, like, so ridiculous that anyone would make a Kurosawa mode without really knowing what Kurosawa black and white or Kurosawa color looks like, but, uh, but anyway. Um, I know nothing about this game. I've seen, like, tweets of people making fun of it but i don't care so i didn't actually investigate that's the one thing about twitter that kills me is everybody starts talking about the same thing but there's literally no context and if you ask somebody they're like why don't you google it dumbass like (laughs) fuck you fuck all y'all like you guys don't have any context for the stuff that you're talking about so just fuck off so sorry that 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 has fed into my level of not caring when it comes to video games especially (laughs) uh yeah, I agree. I don't like that about Twitter. I try to, like, quote tweet things, so people have a little context of what I'm complaining about, but whatever. Um, what was I getting at? Oh, Chris, what is, uh, Ron about besides 400-year-old Toxia Naka guy? <laughs> well, uh, it is definitely about 400-year-old Naka guy. The makeup is amazing. Oh, my God. Um, so this is... Kurosawa's next film after Kagemusha, again, a five-year gap in between. However, unlike the previous three films that had five-year gaps, um, this one had a five-year gap because Motherfucker took five years making it. Two years in pre-production, just making all of the costumes, and then and then another two years uh, filming and doing the editing and all of that good stuff. Ron is going back into one of Kurosawa's wells of Shakespeare adaptations. This one particularly adapt King Lear. Um, I did I did read the Cliff's Notes of King Lear, and this is relatively spot on. Uh, gender swapped the the children, of course, because in King Lear the children are women. They're daughters that go off and marry a bunch of lords, and that's how shit gets fucked up. Um, but in this one, it's it's dudes because Kurosawa just makes movies about dudes. Um, which, hey, as a as an aside, I I think he is like incapable of writing roles about women. Right? <laughs> it, it's really weird. Like as we've gone on, like it's he he had roles for women like early on. He had that one movie that was was 
all women and he just got very manly over the years. It's it's really interesting. But anyway, so the the basic story structure is a four hundred year old Nakadai has decided that at the age of four hundred he is way too old to be a governing warlord during the Warring States period of Japan, and has chosen to retire. And he splits up his kingdom amongst his three sons. During this whole ceremony talk thing, he where he divides up the, the kingdom amongst his three sons. His youngest son, Suguru, I think is his name. My brain is done. Let me find the names. Saburo. I had trouble with the name, too. Yes, yeah, Saburo. Saburo. <sighs> so during the, the, the whole, like, talk thing that's going on where he's dividing the kingdom amongst his three sons, his, his youngest son, Saburo, has decided that this is a bad idea. And the way that he goes about it, it, it offends 400-year-old Nakadai, but he actually makes some really good points. He's like, my brothers, like, this is too much power. Everybody's going to start fighting and murdering everybody, and it's going to be fucked up, and I want no part in this because it's going to be fucked up. Why don't you just keep holding on to it and then, you know, let things kind of settle, and when the time becomes right, you know, then you can do the thing. But it's way too early because your other, your other sons are asshole. Uh, 400-year-old Nakadai is extremely offended by this and disowns Saburo, banishes him and one of his retainers, Tango. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tango and Cash. It's always what's in my mind. Um, his, his retainer, Tango, banishes them both from the family, from the clan, etc., etc., and says, well, there you go, my other two sons. You now have everything. I'm going to go retire. Um, turns out Saburo was right. The oldest son is married to a horrible woman who is the victim of 400-year-old Nakadai's uh, crimes against humanity that he committed in the past. Um, because this is the Warring States period, a big thing is going around and murdering everybody and taking their land, burning their castles and stealing their women. Um, the first husband's wife is one of these uh, female survivors. And so she says, you know... I don't think you're quite, you know, being the warlord master that you should be. You know, you need to just take your dad down a notch or two and, and take the names of the great lord or whatever titles and insignias that uh, Hidetora is 400-year-old Nakadai's real name, actual name, Hidetora, um, that he, he is elected to hold on to. So through some shenanigans and a very nasty letter and a very... Very bad. You know, you think your Thanksgiving dinners are bad. This dinner was bad. Um, Hidetora <laughs> signs this document in blood saying, fine, you can be the great lord. And there's like all these weird clauses that he can be murdered by his son if he disobeys all these weird rules. And he says, you know what? Fuck you. So he leaves, goes to his second son's castle. And the second son is like, you know what? Brother had a good idea. Now that dad's out of the way, I can go kill brother and then take it all for myself. So when dad shows up, he says, nah, sorry about it. And it kicks his like 100 knights or something like that out and humiliates him. And Hidetora says, you know what? This is fucked, you guys. And so he leaves and becomes a poor, homeless, crazy man while his children go on murderous rampages. And I'm already like an hour and a half into the movie. So I will stop with the plot synopsis. It is a film about greed and the grasps for power, backstabbings, regret, uh, crimes coming back to haunt you. Uh, don't be a douchebag because, you know, what you, you sow, you will reap. 
Um, and all of these things deliciously told in fantastic color um, with some incredible makeup. I will forever stand the makeup on Hide Tora. But the interesting thing I want to end with is the son who ends up being a good guy, but he was banished along with Tango. He is played by the actor who played Nobunaga in Kagemusha, and the retainer Tango is the guy who played Ieyasu in Kagemusha. <laughs> and Nakadai, who plays Hide Tora, was whatever the dude's name was that was the Kagemusha in Kagemusha. So it's like you have the this interesting dynamic where you have the, the two enemies of the main guy, but now they're the friends of the main guy in this one. And it's just a weird, probably a coincidence, but I think that's a, a an interesting way to use casting against it. But that also means that the Saburo and Tango are fucking awesome because they were awesome in Kage Musha. Those dudes are good <laughs> actors, and they rock it in this one. And okay. th- th- this movie was also uh, won an Academy Award for Best Costume Design. What you what was not mentioned in between the uh, gorgeousness of the color is that each of the suns are color coded. I believe the first sun is red, the second sun is yellow, and the third sun is blue. And so that's how you got confused in halfway through the movie. It's reversed for the first and second sun. The first sun okay. is yellow. The second sun is red. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the, the giveaway is there when they go when there's like battles. They have banners. The oldest son has just one line on his. The, the middle son has two, and the youngest has three. Yeah, I noticed that too, and I was like, yeah, oh, so was the, like, the the other son must have died, and now they're using the or the the first second son must have died, and now the first son is using the second son's. Uh, Warriors here, and yeah, I got really confused in it at that point. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little. This uh, is a huge film. There, there is something like fifteen hundred extras. It's all these large scale battles. So I didn't find it confusing. I was able to keep up with it, but I can't blame you because like there's just so much happening, and there's so many people on the screen when all these things are happening. It's such a gigantic film. Yeah, this feels like the type of epic Kurosawa would have made earlier in his career if all of the ability to make it was there with it within the studio and everything. Um, I mean, he had to, this was at the time the most expensive Japanese film ever made, and it had to be a co-production with a French studio, I believe. Yes, um, just French. because of like the sheer cost of the movie. Um, obviously. Um, <laughs> If there's a detail, Kurosawa spent like a month fixated on each particular detail. I was reading like he storyboarded basically the entire movie for years before he even began filming. Um, like I mean, just an absolutely meticulous attention to detail. He's always had this attention to detail, but I feel like it was just turned to the very maximum with with making Ron. Um, so the thing that's interesting about that was Kage Musha. He did the same thing. He painted every single storyboard, which is what he did with Ron. The difference being is he wanted to make Ron first. He started doing the storyboards for Ron after completing Durzu Zala. So he, he had been working on this for seven odd years before he got to the actual filming process. Kagemusha just fit in between there um, as, as an opportunity to, to make something. Like they couldn't tell him, yeah, here's all this extra money for Ron. It's like, you need to prove yourself again. So here's the smaller scale film but it that was still a pretty big film itself so this is this was an obsession for for a really really long time 
Yeah, I believe they mentioned that in the Kagamusha book like as well when they were talking about how he painted all of the uh, all the storyboards for Kagamusha. He painted the ones for Ron. He had Ron in planning for all of this time. Uh, I don't think anyone any one of us has the Criterion Blu-ray or DVD for Ron. Those are uh, woefully out of print. I bought the Canal Blu-ray to watch this, and uh, despite the uh, notorious misgivings of the quality of the Canal Blu-ray, it's fine for uh, regular audiences. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would say, and I would say, did you? I mean, it just feels like he he avoided doing like close-ups as much as possible in making the movie. Like everything, he wants to show how big the set is. He wants to show every costume he can. I mean. And it really, I think, adds to the movie, but it just must have been such an undertaking to get every scene right, um, just with, with just the sheer volume, especially these battles where there's thousands of people on the screen almost at, at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you get a little bit of, of, of a break in these big, wide-scale scenes if someone's not doing their exact cue because nobody's really going to notice it the first time they watch it anyway. Um <laughs> Theoretically, <laughs> um, unless you're looking for stuff like that, in which case you probably if I went back and look, watched it, I would see some things. I'm like, oh, that guy's not doing the right thing in the that that battle scene. But um, that's but. one thing with me that I always I always found other people so strange with is I get so absorbed in watching the movie, you know, that I don't understand how people catch these things like you have the the goose with the extra who's sweeping the floor with it, the broom not even <laughs> touching the floor and when people make those gifts and stuff, it's like, oh, wow, that's super obvious. It's like, but I've seen that movie. I didn't fucking notice that because I'm so absorbed. Like, I don't understand how people don't care about movies so much that they're watching them, but don't give a shit to get sucked in. Yeah, but, I, it's just not notice it, stuff like that. It's not something I look for in a film. Like, it has to be, like, really glaring for me to notice. Otherwise, I have to be actively looking for them, and I just would rather not use my time that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I mean, it's. I mean, it can be fun. Like, sometimes you're like, look look at this extra making a really goofy face in this scene. I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. But, like, it does nothing to take away from me. Yeah. Um, like, I get this advertisement for this podcast when I'm listening to, to uh, Spotify on my work computer, and it's like, I'm the one extra who screwed up a giant scene. I'm like, nobody cared, dude, and nobody would have noticed except you are going on a podcast to talk about it. <laughs> and now everyone is only going to look for the, for you in the scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but tangent aside, it's just I, I just think it's a brilliant movie, and the scale at which he made it, it just is, it just feels even more powerful. Like, Every single scene, it's just like you'll see this. Like, there's one scene late in the movie where um, crazy Hidatora is walking away um, through this big volcanic plain, and the way that the camera is positioned high up on a hill above them, above the above him, it just makes the place he's looking walking look so vast and desolate. Like this man is just absolutely lost. But um, and and. And I think, you know, if, if we're looking at an older Kurosawa movie from the 50s, that scene would have been on a much, like, the way he used the camera. I mean, a lot of his movies were, were made in, in 4x3 back then, but it would have been on a much smaller scale. It would have been a much more of a close-up. Um, he's using just so much more to make every scene just, just look bigger and, and much more epic than he'd ever done before. I mean, the movie's, I think, better for it. It, it it deserves the word epic and it's two and a half hours. Each scene just is just like 
you watch a scene you're like I can't pause. I got to see what's happening next. Like just no 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 point to take a break because it just wraps you in and, and carries you throughout. Um, I think the acting performances for the most part are great. We had talked about him not being able to write female characters, and I think the female character, the main female character in this, is a little one-dimensional. Like she basically tells you, "This is my motivation," and then you just see two hours of her motivation playing out, and then she's <laughs> like, just, "Then she reminds character. you at the end, this was my motivation." She's the same character from Throne of Blood. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, she's the exact. It, it's a, yes, it's another Shakespeare adaptation, and you might want to lay the blame on Shakespeare a little bit, which I'm sure you could, because I'm sure that dude absolutely was not good with women or writing women. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the thing with 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 King Lear is it's reversed, so it's like the women, the the three daughters. Um, but if I recall, and it's been 15 plus years since I had to read King Lear in school, um, is I feel like it's their husbands who kind of manipulate them into really kind of grasping for power i forget the exact details maybe one of them has a husband who's trying to manipulate them i want to say that is um uh, the yeah, the cliff notes that i read yesterday at least so there, there's really only two bad bad children yeah one of them actually runs out her husband because he's like yo you're kind of crazy bitch They're like we don't need to be doing this so she runs him out uh, um so she's absolutely the uh, one grasping for power. Yeah, I can't remember the second one. Edmund is the one grasping for power because he's playing Goneril and Reagan against each other. Okay. Yeah, wow. Reagan was the one that, uh, or one of them, the, the the Duke of Aldwell or Aubrey or something, whoever whoever's husband that one was, he, mm-hmm. he got run out because he was like, this is crazy, what are you doing? They're like, no, I want power. So they got rid of the husband and then that's where Edmund came in and really upped up the ante with the crazy and i like i like that first scene uh when they are or when uh uh right mike guy is talking to them and saying mm-hmm. here break each of you in turn break one arrow and then try to break these three arrows and then uh i don't remember which brother uh just put them over his knee and broke all the three arrows and it's like Look, the youngest okay. yeah, yeah the youngest because that that's the thing though. that offends he and he's like how dare you say my <laughs> idea isn't great how dare you imply my sons are going to start fighting against each other as they're given this power and uh yeah he he was the one that knew the knew the sons maybe because he was the youngest he saw he saw them he uh, saw yeah beat up on yep. him and each other so uh, he well, recognized the, the thing with the three arrows. The thing with the three arrows is it, is it without him saying the words, it shows a deeper insight onto how he knows it's going to go bad. All you need is a little extra push. Yep, and that's mm-hmm. what they get. They get the yeah. extra push from from um, Jiro. Has his retainers basically try to push him into um, conflict with his brother. With his brother, and Taro has his wife trying to push him into conflict with his father and then his brother. Yeah, because everybody with the one arrow, it, they they've just broke it on their own just yeah. by having hands on each end. And with the three arrows, the first sons tried to do it the same way. It's like yes, with your own ability, you cannot break these three arrows, but you mm-hmm. add an outside force. Look how easily it snapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was going to say that I thought the actress for Lady Kaede, who's the manipulative uh, female character we just talked about, I thought she was just 
brilliant. Like she owned the scene she was in mainly because her mm-hmm. she like would just get so carried away when she was doing these monologues. I'm like, this is very captivating to watch. Obviously, she's a crazy character who is you know very. You don't have to dig deep to realize like she's out for for revenge against this family. Yeah. Um, but um, but. I remember like multiple times she would just get so carried away and her voice would crack. And I can't help wonder if that was like a, just a natural, like she just got so absorbed in the scene, her voice cracked and they were like, uh, do that please. And (laughs) going forward or if, or if she like tried to, you know, from the start was told like, we need your voice to crack. But, um, I thought she was great. Um, even the, even if her character was a little one dimensional, she, she took the, the whole motivation and really kind of played it very well. Um, yeah. she was, she was, she was good, uh, very good at being menacing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would say like, based off of a Shakespeare play, I seem to recall most Shakespeare tragedies, the characters are pretty much established at the start. And it's just like, here's these characters, most of whom have done bad things or are bad people. And you're going to sit here and watch all of them have bad <laughs> things happen to them. <laughs> like that was basically a Shakespearean tragedy. Um, yeah. and the crowd, I mean, like, Shakespeare plays, I think, were, like, attended largely by, like, the rabble who would just be drunk and yelling and loud. So they loved watching all these rich nobles die, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, now we read them as, like, the highest form of art and literature ever. (laughs) I still think pantontic pyameter or whatever the fuck that stupid... Pantameter. It's garbage. Like, even back in high school, I was like, no, this is not... Yeah, it's 500 years old. And they spoke differently. It's like, no, this is written horrifically. <laughs> Good plots, horrible at the writing. Yeah, I think that's that's generally my opinion on on Shakespeare. To, to go off on another tangent, is like a lot of the plots, especially for his tragedies. I'm like, this is really like Macbeth. King Lear. These are these are really good plots, even if they're a little one dimensional. Like people getting their comeuppance is always something I enjoy. So, uh, <laughs> and um, it, yeah, but yeah, in terms of terms of reading them, it's rough. And it, I don't, I don't, I, I think they're they're better in a lot of cases adaptations, as is the case with Ron, which is a great adaptation of the concept of King Lear, which is. Hidatora, I mean, Hidatora is a bad person, even though we we're we're meant to almost sympathize with him. Like he's just gone to war, destroyed all of these other families, treated his sons basically. It said at the start, don't they say like, oh, he's not criticizing us for once? <laughs> like I don't recall. Yeah, it's like very much very at the start when he decides to divide up the lands because he has his like dream or vision or whatever. He's like he's like the the sons are commenting. He's not criticizing us for once. Um, or we're not good, and he thinks we're good enough to actually like rule the king, rule rule the lands he conquered now. Um, and it just says to me like he was he was just very selfish, centered on himself, conquering all the land for himself. And now he's too old and too tired to maintain it. Um, and so he comes up with this idea that of course my sons will be loyal to me. I'm their father. And then it's hinted, well, he wasn't a great father, and he definitely wasn't a great person. And then all like he just like sees everything around him crumble and he descends into madness as a result of it until you know the end comes and he has like one moment of almost redemption before it's shot away and you feel bad for i think i i think the characters to feel i feel sympathetic for are the retainers i feel sympathetic of course for um the the other family um not um lady kaede's family but lady sue and surumaro's family um who are definitely um 
how how would you phrase it? it they they were just victims of Hidator's blood, like warlord bloodlust. Um, and well, they're, they're great contrasts. That, that's yeah. how you can basically. That's that's the biggest tell for what Kaede is actually doing. That you know that there's malice behind it because she's contrasted with Sue, who is very kind and. Even though, like, when he talks to her, he's like, I'm so sorry, I murdered your family. She's kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of hate you, but, you know, I'm not going to, I'm still going to be polite and meek, you know, and not hate you, if that sounds right. Um, and then when he meets Sudamaru, he's like, I hate you, but I have grown past this, and now I just hold it inside. There's no vindictiveness I just have to focus on moving forward. And then it just flash, it flashes back to Kaede, and she's like, Nah, bitch! You need to go kill more people and get more power! It's like, nah, you, you know that she is the manipulate, m- manipulator, the vengeful one, because of how non-vengeful those two are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would also say I feel bad, of course, for um, the fool Kiyoami, who's this delightful little... F- that that is so loyal to Hidatora, um, and, and there's a scene where where when and Tongo is too. Um, they're both very loyal to Hidatora, even even when it's clear like he's lost the plot. They're just trying to help him. Um, but before he goes, before he descends into madness, they they tell him you need to get out of this realm. Like you are a dead man walking. Your sons are going to kill you. Um, and he's like, no. And then, like, he abandons them, and they're just sitting there, the two of them, very, very despondent, and they're just like, they, they're like, I'm not something to the effect, and I forget the exact line, but they say something to the effect, I'm not going to apologize for telling the truth, which is also what Saburo did early in the movie, and it just feels like he's, the, the, the Hidator is so stubborn, he's not going to listen to any of the good advice that comes his way at any point, um, as everything literally burns down around him. That... So you were talking earlier about how most of the film is shot extremely wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with everything that you said there. But the extra bit is because so much of it is shot so wide and all of it is on such an epic grand scale that the moments where he does come in close, it feels so much that much more impactful. Like mm-hmm. the, the scene where he's literally in a, in the third castle and it's burning down around him. That is, that is close. It's not even medium. That's, that's a close shot. And you really just can feel the emotions from him. And it feels so much more personal, um, and important because it broke away from seeing everything to seeing what it means to this one person. And you get that a lot, especially after Hidetora, uh descends into madness out in the wilderness. Uh, there's a lot more close-up shots uh, mm-hmm. during that. They and have I think to show it, off the makeup that they did on him for that. <laughs> <laughs> My God, that fucking makeup. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and it just works so, so well uh, as, as a juxtaposition to the, the long shots that those close-ups really hit harder than they would have if everything was in close-up yeah yeah um i was gonna say that scene when he's in the burning castle i know did they like apply makeup throughout that because he go the scene starts and he looks kind of pre-madness he detour but by the end of it i mean he's just so gaunt and broken 
visual like I I don't know. The only thing I read about that is he was legit inside of a burning building. They had to do oh, maybe, <laughs> of course just naturally occurred. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the scene where he leaves the building through the fire, they had to do that all in one take. Um, so because the building was burning and they they weren't going to rebuild it. So um, yeah, I like a part of me wants to think that that's like the makeup starting to melt off of him. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh wow! Imagine. I mean, I guess that just that just is the trust someone has in Kurosawa's vision. Like for Nakadai to say, "Yes, this is a good idea. Let's do this. I will gladly sit inside <laughs> a burning building that's burning all around me and trust you to keep me safe." <laughs> and I could just see Kurosawa's justification. He's like, "Well, I spent all this money building this building so I could burn it down. If we don't." Get it right the first time. I can't rebuild it because we ain't got that much more money. So let's yeah. fucking do it. That's a lot of trust <laughs> from Kurosawa and Nakagai as well to get this going in one take. But they've known yeah. each other at this point for 20-odd years. So Yeah, they had been working together for about 20 years, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Yojimbo, that was like 1960 or 61. So uh, 25, but, yeah. All right, all right, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was going to bring up... Uh, Kiyomi as well, like yeah, there there always seems to be some sort of revelation in these Kurosawa movies in terms of an actor that uh, either Kurosawa has discovered or uh, Kurosawa personally has just discovered, which I believe is the latter case for the actor Peter, um, who, na- who is named Peter because he looks like Peter Pan, I guess. I don't know. Wikipedia was not very specific, and I didn't read that deeply. Um, so I don't know much about Peter except for what what I had been able to dig up and. I don't I don't know if the individual is transgender or or a drag queen or if that's just something that they like to do. So I'm going to use they pronouns when speaking about Peter, because um, that's exactly like how the, the character of Kyo, Kyoami acts like they act like a woman, speak like a woman. And then after they're banished to the wilderness, their voice breaks and it becomes very deep and it's it's a more masculine voice. Um, they actually they got their start in a uh, Japanese art film called The Funeral Parade of Roses from 1968. I have the Blu-ray. I haven't watched it yet, though, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> but that film is considered a landmark in Japanese queer cinema. It's uh, all about transgender characters and uh, all kinds of that of that scene. Um, like they actually went into that scene and filmed it as almost kind of like a documentary, but it is a very fictional art house experimental film. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. So I was actually, I was really curious like about the, the character Peter and what I was able to find out was exactly what you found that when he, when they were discovered, um, Prior to Funeral Parade of Roses in 1968, they were known for dressing up um, in skin-tight clothing and dancing, which drew the illusion to Peter Pan because Peter Pan, uh, in the classical plays and even in the the Disney cartoon, those are those are like ballet bank tight tights, you know, the spandex tights. So they they, 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 they they were they would dress in similar dress but not as Peter Pan. And so they just uh, people just drew the illusion to them and that's how they, they came to be known as Peter. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But they, that's 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 a that's a that's a character I really loved. Like I think that's probably the best character in the film. And 
I really want to know more about the the actor that portrayed them. Yeah, I thought I thought one thing that was really nice about about Kiyomi's character is there's a certain uh, there's a certain ability of Kiyomi to give you just a little bit of a hint of the thematic approach to the movie without like explicitly just hitting you on the head with it because Kiyomi's doing like you know dances and songs um, or as part of scenes such as when um, Hidatora shoots the guy who's coming after. Uh, Kiwami for insulting uh was it Jiro or Taro? Uh Jiro. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Hidatora shoots shoots the guy from the um tower which which it, it, it is a, a very like and as a character starts off this really just lovable fool just you know dancing and song and as the the movie gets more serious as things are crumbling Kiwami gets more serious and you see that this is a person who really cares about uh, Hidatora um, cares about the the realm that they live in um, that's now crumbling to dust around them um, and it is really sympathetic I think I think I would agree um, just in every every scene that Kiwami's in it, Kiwami steals the ship steals the scene just great all around um, I mean we could say that about just about every <laughs> actor in the movie but yeah Kiwami really stood out. Kiyomi produced my favorite shot in the whole movie. It's really towards the end when Hidetora is completely into madness, and Kiyomi makes a grass hat for him. And oh yes, dude, like I don't know why, but it's it's close up on Hidetora's face. You just watch Kiyomi put the grass hat and all these other uh, accessories on him, and he just sits there and he's just staring. And something about that image, like that image, I adored. You see throughout the movie, Kiyomi, um, very loyal to uh, Hidatora, following him around, and just making sure that he doesn't die from, uh, you know, being a extremely mag person who just lost, uh, or seemingly lost all of his sons, uh, figuratively, and one of them literally by that point. Uh, but he eventually, his patience wears thin on him, and he gets into an argument, Hidatora runs away, and... He's like, wait, no, and he chases after him, and then he, that's, that is when he finds the third son, uh, second, several times, Saburo? Saburo, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's when he finds the third son, and, uh, they, uh, run to the Azusa Plains, I think it is, to find Hiyatora, who is, uh, eventually they find him laying in the ground, waiting for his death. Someone else say something. I'm yeah, trying I, was, to I was going through my notes. I wanted to see, like, oh yeah, there's blood spray in this movie. Yeah, the arterial <laughs> spray. Blood spray, like super cathartic. I, it just the character. It, it, the when it happens, where it happens, to whom it happens, you're like, yes. At the very, very end of the film. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the thing that I think was pretty great was every cut was an arterial blood spray. Yes. No matter how minor it was, there was. I can't remember any of the scenario but there was uh, characters uh they were laying on the ground and they got stabbed or they 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 were they were stabbed and fell onto the ground and while they're laying on the ground the arterial spray it's not huge but it's enough to be showy and it creates like a halo around one of the the other dead people's heads um of blood on the ground i was like good lord like when we talk about how colorful colorful the film is that blood spray is a big part of the color. It's pretty great. You wonder, like, what 
Yojimbo would look like if it had color, at least in that scene, like seeing Nakagai's ridiculous scarf and then being slashed by uh, Mifune right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I was going to say, I and mean, we talked about the battle scene before, The when Hidatora's castle burns to the ground, just that entire battle sequence, it's a battle montage. I mean, there's basically no dialogue for, from almost the entirety of it. And it's just and it's just like here's everything going on as the troops all march in to just destroy everything around Hidatora and Hidatora himself. And I, I just the way it was shot and it, it helps because it was done on such an epic scale with the cameras way back showing as much as possible, juxtaposed with the close up as Hidatora is sitting in a burning building, terrified for his life. Um, it I think that. It, if you're re- if you're making a list of Kurosawa's best battle sequences, it, that is you, if you put it at the top, you, it belongs there. Uh, he has many great battle sequences, but this might be his best, I thought. And it's hardly a battle; it's more just a massacre. <laughs> it is. It is a massacre. Well, because because the, the 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 whole context of that is the the two brothers they conspired to make a trap against Hide Tora. And so they were fighting together when they stormed the castle to murder Hidetora and his men. But then along the way, Jiro, the red, the red son, betrays the yellow son. And so that you have this massive army of two armies fighting together and then turning against each other like halfway through. Like it takes a bit it takes a bit to realize like what's really going on because it's just so many people murdering everybody in, in sight. And you're like. Wait, I don't understand. I thought this was what was happening, and but but it flips and then in the middle, and you don't realize it flipped until a good like five minutes later when uh, Jiro's retainer Kuragane comes up and was like, "Yeah, so something happened," which is hilarious. Also, I, that 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 scene was fucking hilarious. Kuragane walks up and he's holding a gun and he's like, "Yeah, it was crazy. Like a shot came out of nowhere and it killed your brother Taro." Where Jiro just kind of looks at him, and then Jiro looks at the gun. Kuragane looks down at the gun, and then just tosses the gun away. And he looks back. He's like, "Yeah, we don't know what happened." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not until you get to that scene that you kind of realize uh, the the double cross that had been happening because you just see the the swarms of people uh, battling up to that point. Yeah, and it seems like each of like e- any fight that happens that. That is in this movie, it's on the scale of the final fight in Kagemusha, and you want, like, when you watch Kagemusha and you saw the final fight, that was just, um, the conclusion to what was an epic, uh, but now it's just, like, the whole thing is the epic, and as you were, as you were both saying earlier, the White Earth Shocks provides context for, like, how epic this is, whereas in Kagemusha you get a lot more closer shocks, it feels more intimate because you're so, uh, you're so in toward the the Kagamusha and everybody else, but um, now you're seeing this whole family fall apart as uh, as the the father goes crazy, the sons fight against each other, and the third son is just uh, off for most of the movie, waiting for um, everyone to come to their senses. I guess that's what it's. Well, I don't know. I don't think he even gives a shit. Like, yeah. He, he, he So after he got banished, he got adopted by one of the lords who was trying to marry his daughter off. And he was like, look, the other guy, now that you're not going to inherit all of this amazing 
you know, power. He doesn't give a shit, but I think you're a pretty dope dude. You can still marry my daughter, and that way you're not going to be a poor beggar out of wandering the wilderness. So he's like, awesome. So he gets to keep living a good life, and he knows what's happening, and the only the only reason he shows up is he, he shows up to get his dad. That's it. He shows up. He's like, I just want to get my dad and get out of here. He's like, I don't even care about you assholes. Murder yourselves. Whatever. I'm just here for my dad. He can't even be given that satisfaction. Well, I mean, from his perspective, you know, he did get that satisfaction because <laughs> sure. uh, he didn't, you know, wasn't cognitive of anything else that happened after that happened. <laughs> oh, I have to ask. It, it, there, There's a definite illusion and discussion of, of Buddhist spirituality that unfortunately mostly goes over my head. Um did you guys the the, the this, there's there's a, a scene at the end with like a, a, a painting of Buddha an image of Buddha dropped to the ground? Do you understand that analogy at like what's that symbolizing at all? I know it had to be. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I, I I I think of it as another case of God is dead. God, okay, that is probably a good perspective to have good good view on it. yeah I, I know it's mentioned some some buddhism's mentioned before and there's i i, I took that as like the way a way you would discuss like oh well you've turned your back on god to pursue power in this realm in this life basically um and i get that i i understand i that final scene would make sense there then yeah well, well so in the context of the film i don't know too much about the context of uh of the, the Buddhism, Buddhist beliefs, but in the context of the film, um, God and Buddha are first brought up um, by Kyoami. She, or they are screaming at the sky, saying, "God, if you exist, why the fuck are you letting this happen? Save somebody! Stop this madness! Like, why? Wh- what is your problem?" And I can't remember if it's Hidetora or Tongo. Um, Whoever is there with them when Kyoyami is yelling at the sky, they they say, you know, well, it's not God's place to meddle in in the affairs of men because um, I can't remember the exact words, but he gives a reasoning for why why God cannot actually interfere in the affairs of men and the way that the affairs of men progress. It's that well, if God cannot do any good cannot try to make the world good and right is how can we even validate that he's even there and i think that's where it ties into at the very end as sumamaru is holding on to the buddha he's holding on to his optimism but now everything is completely fucked uh without giving you know details quote-unquote spoilers at the end of the film like everything is fucked it's it it's it's the ultimate tragedy, um, and and Surumaru is left essentially completely alone. He is now 100% alone, holding on to the Buddha, and he stumbles, drops the Buddha, and almost falls off of a cliff to his own death. But he stops and he stands there, and the camera pans back and it shows that he is truly alone. Um, that's where I get the the God is dead thing is that man is left truly alone and the whole conversation that well if God is good and God is real why does he let this happen some bullshit excuse of why he can't let it why he can't interfere it's like why is he even there then maybe he's not God is dead we are alone that's also because his 
his sister was one of the one of the wives, um, and the sister was also killed, right? But tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so Tsurumaru is literally the only character that was paid attention to that, that lives. Yeah. Yeah, and Tsurumaru is basically forced to live a meager existence all before. Like where if we, we meet Tsurumaru, Tsurumaru is just like in a hovel, you know, scraping by as best he can. Well, and he's um, blind. Hidetora had his eyes gouged out. <laughs> yeah, he's just he, a miserable existence. He's the, his joy comes from playing the flute, which he tragically loses. Um, and yeah, and he's the, the lone survivor. Um, it's just really it, it. It's a powerful scene. It's tragic to see like Surumaro has no one who will now be able to, you know, help him. He's back. He just. It's 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 symbolic that he's the lone survivor um, because he's the only person who doesn't start the movie whole. I guess is the way to phrase it. Like he's already been broken, um, but everybody else who starts at a point of you know a higher position of power, that every single one of them are dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it's a bloody affair the whole movie, especially the last hour. <laughs> okay, Tarantino, slow down. <laughs> No, I, I really like I really like this movie. You know, everybody points to this one as being probably Kurosawa's best film, uh, and definitely his best later film. And I, I get it, I see it. Um, this is so epic. It's just so big, and there's so many wheels turning. The tragedy is good. The acting is good. The arterial blood spray is amazing. <laughs> um, but there's just the the film, the story, and this is probably a faulting of Shakespeare as well. It, the story just feels so impersonal and distant. Um, I actually, I think, I, I think I, you know, we, we we discussed this last time. I apparently liked Kagemusha a lot more than you guys did, um, and so it stands to reason I think I like Kagemusha more than Ron because because there's the, this this personal connection that I think is definitely missing from Ron it's it's too pretty it's too well choreographed and too well storyboarded uh, the makeup and the costume all of it is is so good it becomes it becomes something outside for me and I think that's the only the only thing that I could possibly think of to offer as a criticism to the film is that the perfection is so much that it becomes this pristine outside look. It doesn't feel personal. It doesn't invite me into the, to the story. Yeah, I would agree that it, there's not really a character that you watch. I mean, you're watching something unfold on screen. You're not get either outside of maybe Kiyoami, maybe um, Surumaro. You're not getting a real... Um, human character that you probably you know feel like oh, I, I sympathize with this person. Um, maybe Tongo. I'm not sure. It's hard because Tongo obviously is kind of a goes out and kills people for his master before the movie starts. Um, well, I mean, it's it's not so much the the sympathetic character, yeah. and it's the the themes and the messages. What the film is saying, it doesn't it doesn't impact me on a personal level. It doesn't like do what so many other Kurosawa films have done and like open up my my soul or my mind to a new experience or anything it's just okay that was cool and big and epic yeah, yeah i would say i would say it to juxtapose it with seven samurai because that's the other i feel like that and ron are the samurai epics he did they get like i think most oft compared um 
it, Seven Samurai is much more like everybody in that movie. You, I think, you basically care about. You're like you are watching it. You're you are identifying with their with their struggle. There's a personal element to all of it. Whereas yes, with Ron, it's you're detached from the personal element. You're just watching the tragedy unfold. Yeah, it feels like we are at a thousand foot view of watching uh, watching Nakaga uh, Hiyotaka, um and his family fall apart, and it has those themes that are so often in Kurosawa's movies with uh, Isabro, uh pleading kindness and working together, and uh, as you can as you watch the action unfold. He's very clear, at least to me, uh, from watching all the other Kurosawa movies, that this is so staunchly anti-war and anti-killing uh, people that like like that is just a generally bad thing that Kurosawa doesn't like, um, but portrays you know agree yeah it portrays in such a violent way to try and make it overt that like these things happen and these things are bad that they are yeah but um, I, I think the the shooting of it, the way that it is uh, shot so wide, and the, you can see everything so beautifully, but uh, you also do not see the characters in as close um, as we were uh, comparing Kagamusha. Like that is a movie where everything is close, and something that something else that comes to mind is uh, Tokyo Story, Ozu's Tokyo Story. When people are staring directly at the camera, that's kind of unnerving, but also you feel like so much, you you as the audience feel so much more uh, a part of the story. Whereas here, um, it seems that you everyone is talking uh, to each other and you are not part of that at all. You are watching a play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to knock the film too much because I just, I mean, the way it was shot, it, it just... The, the, the criticism of it's also the praise of it because it's just so beautiful from start to finish um, and the scenes are brilliant and the acting's great the makeup's great the costumes are great but yes there's that one personal element I would agree that it's kind of lacking and again if you're comparing with with um, some of his 50s and 60s um, epics I, I feel like all of those are a lot more personal and inviting than this um, and um, I would say, one thing with Ron, and I think the reason a lot of people are so accustomed, like this is the, if you, a lot, I think this is probably the most seen Kurosawa movie outside of Yojimbo, um, but certainly in the last 30 years, this has probably been the most seen, partly because it's in color. Um, people naturally, I think, are more, nowadays are more inclined if a movie's in black and white or movies in color to go with the one in color. Um, I would say this one, it's got a reputation from a lot of people like, oh, you. I've seen – when you mention Akira Kurosawa, they're like, oh, I've seen Ron. That movie's great. And I think it's very recognizable. It feels like a Hollywood epic um, versus some of the, the films he was doing. It does kind of have that Cecil B. DeMille feel to it. Yes, yeah, like just big, like a big epic movie. Um, and, and previously when he's done – and, I, and, I, and previously when he's done epic, like – they have they've been epics, but they haven't been. They don't feel like they're big movies. Um, like just the content of them, the, the the depth of it, the the story that the the scenes themselves are all great, but they don't feel epic. You feel like you're you're part of the conflict, whereas here you're just watching the conflict. If that's one way to phrase it, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. All 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 of that stuff aside, though, 
Um, am I the only one who, when the film very first started, after the credits finished rolling, sat up at attention and said, oh shit, this is going to be Princess Mononoke. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder like, if this was an influence on Miyazaki. Uh, the, the opening scene, for those who haven't watched the film and are listening to this, is Hidetora, his sons, and two uh, friendly warlords that own other areas of the land. They're, they're, they're hunting together, and they're hunting a giant ass warthog and the way the camera frames that warthog it looks like it's huge and it reminds me so much of the opening of princess mononoke where uh the lead in that is hunting a regular ass warthog but it's a big warthog they kill it and it pisses off the demon warthog that comes and just starts steamrolling through um like i I wonder if if miyazaki didn't try to draw some of the uh the imagery of the hunt uh from this film it is very very familiar. Perhaps uh, Kurosawa, Hidetaka, and uh, all of those characters also pissed off uh, a pig dog. <laughs> but no, that did not cross my mind, personally. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched uh, Princess Mononoke in a long, long time, so I did not even remember that part. a while for me, yeah, so I didn't catch it either. Um, I would say that Kurosawa, the way Kurosawa loved filming, like, in nature... Um, when he got the chance, I, I think it's very translatable to the way Miyazaki loves drawing his scenes. Um, um, so I, I, I think there's a certain amount that Miyazaki, when he when he storyboards his films, he may visualize many scenes from Kurosawa films when he storyboards them. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, which film director does not visualize making an Akira Kurosawa-influenced film at some <laughs> point? <laughs> there you have a point. Yes. I think also like Ron though. Uh, I, I agree with all of all of the points that we've been making, but um, in the end, I think I dig like Ron more than uh, Kagemusha, just for the the beauty of it and the scale of it and uh, the general messages that Kurosawa always sends in these films. If we're talking about later uh, these later color Kurosawa's, then maybe I I still might say Gersu Uzala is my favorite. I really like that movie. Um, movie's really good. Yeah, they're, they're all. They're all really good still. Yeah, I think the the myth of um, the, the, there's there's like this story that that you know it's almost a myth that Kurosawa, um, you know, stopped making black and white films and lost his way until he got to Ron is definitely untrue. Um, Incredibly untrue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's if just I, because I don't it's know just. If I've heard that, but if I ever hear anyone speak it in real life, I will be sure. <laughs> I think I think it's just because I think I think it's more because really between. Um, almost Yojimbo and Ron he made he didn't make the movies that he was most fam- were most familiar um which are Kurosawa mode movies um <laughs> uh, and then he gets to Ron and he does what he did in the 50s and early 60s except this time in color um on just this massive scale and yes Kagemusha was the warm-up I would say I, I prefer Ron to Kagemusha my criticisms about Kagemusha were um that there just wasn't enough um it was too much build-up i thought if i were uh, with kagemusha whereas ron were dropped right in like from the start and, and that's owing in part to, to the fact that he was inspired by shakespeare you know borrowed from shakespeare and shakespeare plays um have a very strict structure where act one is literally like well let's get the action going act two three and four are here's the action here's the bloody incident that really serves as the climax and then here's like 
you know, things on the downswing, and then Act Five, which is everybody's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> it followed that structure um, to a T, um, and, and it's, it's a familiar st- storytelling structure for me. Um, instead of, I think, I think a lot of films operate on a three act structure. This one very clearly was on a five act structure. Yeah. Um, um, and, and it, not to take anything away. I mean, we've watched a ton of, of Kurosawa movies, and there's a dozen that are like, oh, if this is the one you think that's the best, I don't really have a strong argument against you picking <laughs> that one. So <laughs> this is this this can be you can say this is his best movie, and I wouldn't have an argument against it. <laughs> but I to me, it is not his best, but it's 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 great nonetheless. <laughs> it is a really really yeah. good film. Don't I, none of my like I said that's my one criticism, and that's just. That's a personal thing. I like movies that affect me deeply um, in some kind of personal way, either through relatable characters or themes and messages. Like, I'm not going to talk smack about this movie. It's just like, you know, if I had to find something, like, that's the one thing that this movie just did not do for me. It's not bad by any any stretch of the imagination. My only real, like, strong hill, I guess, for for criticism on Kurosawa movies is his general inability to write female characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, the one movie where he wrote female characters really well was Dedeskaden, which just doesn't didn't work for me as a movie for the most part. there's also at least the, his recent ones, yeah. There was also the most beautiful, which was a war propaganda movie, so that has yeah. different issues. Yes, yeah, it's it's kind of it's. I mean, he writes movies about men and men's struggles and men's tragedies. Um, it's that's established. That's like my my legitimate like. Oh yes, this is something I would have to knock him for. But everything else, it's like very small criticisms that are barely criticisms. <laughs> right. But uh, anyone else have anything else on Ron before we take a break and continue on to the next segment? Have I mentioned how amazing the fucking makeup is on 400-year-old Nakadai? Nakadai is almost 90, and he looks younger now than he did in this movie. <laughs> well, he looks younger now than he did in Kagemusha. I know. This, yeah. is, this is next level. Like, wow, the makeup is so good. I thought it was funny. So when the movie started, I... Um, I for whatever reason, didn't read, like, who was playing what character, and it's, like, starring Tatsuya Nakadai, and I was like, I knew he was in this, I know he's the lead character, and they showed Hidatora, I was like, well, that's not Nakadai. (laughs) (laughs) Which one of these people is Nakadai? (laughs) And then he did a scene with his eyes, and I was like, that's Nakadai. (laughs) His eyes perked up, like, that's Nakadai, all right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, before we take a break, Chris, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I am on Twitter, at Antonius Pius. All right, um, we will take a short break, and we, Chris and I will be back on the other side with uh, Jared and Vinny to talk about G Gundam. You already filmed G Gundam, didn't you? Yeah. Do you have any G Gundam hot takes that you? Oh, I, you I don't have any G Gundam, G Gundam hot takes because it's like I didn't watch it because I was very poisoned by by Gundam discourse in the 2000s, where like G Gundam was the bad Gundam. Um, <laughs> And now that is that that discourse has changed to G Gundam is actually the only good Gundam, which it's been really fun to watch the dynamic. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's I yeah, it's on my I'm bad with watching Gundams mainly because I, my wife doesn't really like them. So I mean, yeah. I so and I don't like I'm not the type of person who forces forces someone to sit down and watch a Tarantino movie with me and and, <laughs> and so. that you. <laughs> so it's it's it's, I, it's something I have to watch in my own time, which is you know, we watch most of our anime together as you know at least halves. Yeah. But I'll get to it. 
the box set looked amazing. I almost picked it up on a blind buy, but I can't do limited editions on blind buys. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got the, the, ch- the cheaper individual Blu-ray sets of G Gundam. Uh, when I was talking to Corey about it, he was like, did you get the ultimate? I was like, nah, because that's like crazy expensive. I don't know if I, would, if I liked the show or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought the fancy set. It's, it rules. We are Wait, back. Oh no 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 what? no no. You yes, have to, we're already you, back. You cannot. No, you cannot start that way. You have to say Gundam Fight Ready Go. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, like you. That's like the biggest. Like, like you have to start the show that way. I mean, Corey, you need to do a dramatic narration of what's happened last time, and then like introduce the guests of like who will be appearing this week, and then go Gundam Fight Ready Go. Never mind. Right, I, None I, of us can do it as good as Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was amazing. Let's get things started. Gundam fight all set. Ready? Go! Da-na-na-na. 90s rock guitars. We're here to talk about G Gundam. And joining us, joining Chris and me, are our good friends, uh, Jared and Vinny. Say hello. Hello, fighters. Hello. <laughs> I love Trust how I add, I, I add the for the fandom and then I just go, hello. All right. Um, so... Talking about G Gundam, the 90th of 90s Gundams, I believe. I haven't watched all the Gundams. I've watched like three Gundams, but I'm going to make that proclamation right here. Uh, but uh, this is a show that I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. Because it is very clearly sports anime, even though France doesn't think it's sports anime. Um, but uh, Chris, what is G Gundam about? Well, to start it off on the top, I'm going to say that G Gundam aired from 1994 to 1995 and is directed by Yasuhiro Imagawa, the fucking god of robot anime, um, because that's the most important thing to know about G Gundam. This is directed by the man who gave us Giant Robo, one of the greatest anime of all time, the first three episodes of Getter Robo Armageddon, the 2000s reboot of Tetsujin 28 and its accompanying movie, and the wonderful Mazinger Z The Impact reboot series, all of which are available in America by Discotech because they know what's right. And that's important to contextualize because all of those are super robot series. You know, the the Go Nagai origination of the super robot, the crazy hot-blooded hero. G Gundam is Gundam's super robot series, which I understood as I was watching it, and now I understand why Gundam diehards hate it, because it's not a real robot series. Well, suck it, because super robots are better. It's not a serious man Gundam. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not doing serious man Gundam here. This That's is a very right. serious Gundam, I feel. I mean, they are at war uh, with each other. Um, yeah, so this is, a, this is a Gundam that is... Uh, what happens if you take uh, a 70s super robot anime and you animate it in the 90s and you call it Gundam? I will the, say the one thing. Uh, those were two of the, Giant Robo and Tetsujin are uh, Mitsuhiro Yokoyama, not Gonagai. Yes. So yeah, he's bringing the be- he's 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 done all the best franchises, all the best creators of Giant Robots, and done better things with them. 
<laughs> giant Robo is far better than whatever Giant Robo originally was. <laughs> I haven't seen Johnny Sucko and his Giant Robot, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna state for the record that I I am like agnostic to Super Robot and Real Robot. I like I like them both. Um, this is a weird bird, though. This is a real weird bird. Um, this was supposed to be a different Gundam that I think was going to be Serious Man Gundam, which is what I'm going to call Real Robot for the rest of this episode. Um, <laughs> and um, that apparently got shot down. And we come we come into G Gundam at a point in the Gundam franchise where it's really at a low point. They've kind of made the same Gundam for like you know since 1979. Um, it uh, was very Serious Man stuff with serious men talking about serious issues and um, serious like death monologues and all kinds of serious man things. Uh, and by I think Victory Gundam, that formula had kind of played itself out. Um, Tomino was was kind of done, and so um, this this came to be, and I think it's still probably the weirdest Gundam there is in the in the context of Gundam, because it's a super robot show. This is like right in the middle of the fucking strike zone, but <laughs> but, but but as as a as a Gundam show, this is like so far off the reservation that people had like a lot of problems with it, like while it was being made, like staff were like, but. But serious man Gundam, and the director was like, "But no." <laughs> but have you thought of doing a Wusha Gundam? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Oh, I, I love the fact that Domon is just straight up Koji Kabuto, but even more of an asshole somehow. Somehow, Domon is even more of an asshole than Koji Kabuto. Yeah, they just turned Koji up to eleven, and they got Domon. <laughs> and like this show for being uh incredibly entertaining and silly and uh something that I enjoy quite a bit and that might be because uh, I watched it when I was on TV when I was a kid but like Domon never really becomes a likable person <laughs> he just uh continues yeah. being an asshole the whole time so I was okay actually with, I was okay with him because of that super robotness, the hot-blooded hero, the Koji Kabuto, I was like, no, Domon is just fine. And then around, like, episode, like, 35 or 40, when he breaks down and just starts treating Rain like shit, I was like, nah, fuck this dude. <laughs> yeah, like, I think you could argue that Domon is actually one of the only things about the show that is very much in line with other Gundam male leads. Like, like there's not that many... There are some nice man gundam male leads but there's not many they tend to all like not all but they tend to the vast majority of them be either like stupid brats or raging assholes and domon is of the raging asshole school of gundam uh leading man isms he's a raging asshole but he also has, he has, a, he has some brat too in him like he's still being played like an 18 year old yeah because he like he he's like if you he's like kind of a brat samurai especially in the beginning because he's like, no, I will like ruin your whole life to fight you for Gundam fight because my goals are more important than yours. And that's like the first core of the show. Uh, that's his character standpoint for the first core of the show until the larger plot starts to open up. I would, I think. Anyway. Isn't Gundam like actually eighteen or nineteen, twenty or something? Probably. I don't know his age offhand, but that sounds right. And I don't want to pull up Gundam Wiki. 
No, they don't mention ages at all, so you'd have to be Gundam Wiki level deep. <laughs> I mean, I've been Gundam Wiki level deep. I had technical manuals somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's he's he's probably around around that age. He's he's definitely not like you know he's a young man. He's not like a a boy. Um, he's not a judo or a Lauren or a. Um, it's not even a oh, yeah. Oh God. No. 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 Not even an Amuro. Yeah. Like he's he's definitely older than Amuro or Camille. Um, you know, not as old as Char probably. <laughs> it's, the Gungam Wiki says he is twenty. He is, his birthday is in twelve days. Happy birthday, Domon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So Gungam, the first uh, log of episodes uh, is just him. On Earth in this Gundam fight, and he's fighting against various uh, various Gundams um, as he works his way through the entire United States looking for his brother. Uh, in the first episode, we also meet the um, future members of the Shuffle Alliance who will fight alongside Domon by the end. Uh, Neo, Neo, Russia, China, um, France, and America, as well as fighting assholes in Italy and. Uh, a bunch of other places. Can we note really quickly that the all all of the all of the countries basically like it's like all the the rich people and lucky people leave Earth for colonies that are shaped exactly like the countries they come from because <laughs> why not? You, Mexico is not shaped like a fucking sombrero. Yeah, the, the oh, US okay. is not a giant star. Okay, so Japan Japan's the only one that like looks exactly the same. My bad. Um, the rest of them are as like stereotypical as the everything else in the sh- in the show. But um, yeah, so like all all, the all the- people are left on Earth, and it's nothing but a Gundam battlefield at this point. So poor That's, people just yes. beat up. It's awful. Yes, the poor suffer while dipshit Domon and his buddies go around fighting people and breaking buildings and making yeah. the already shitty conditions on Earth that much worse. And they do this every four years, and this keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, and this is in lieu of war, I guess. Everyone is okay with whoever wins the Gungan fight ruling the uh, Earth colonies. <laughs> like, they, they, their view of the universe is pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, anyway, this is a very strange... Um, very strange setup, but it is definitely sports because no one is competing against everybody else to rule the world. Uh, what is more, more or less sports? Nothing. Nothing, I said. I don't think any sport gives you the right to rule the world. Like, if you win the World Cup, you're not now, like, you know, King Emperor of the Earth for the next four years. Yeah, Tell that right. to any the... fucking American team that wins these things. <laughs> when, the, when the Gundam fight begins, there is a literal, like, boxing ring style roping off of the planet to to signal its beginning so i i have to agree with Corey. like this is the most grandiose sport thing probably ever it is forcing to the next generation to the next level yeah i believe Delmon even uh flings himself off of the ropes at one point yes yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, what I was gonna these early episodes are very episodic. Uh, it's the last half of the last half of the series, and even like the last four episodes that become a little more plot heavy. But uh, the the first episodes, like, um, I don't know if you all have a favorite of these first episodes. I think mine was Yo Mexico, I believe. Um, 
that, that had a good that was that was a good story. The yeah. New Mexico one was a really good story. And like that was yeah. the other times that gun one was not an asshole, so it was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time we've seen him being a human being and not just want to murder someone. <laughs> uh, of the first batch, I think I think I really liked the. Uh, Neo Egypt, just because it was the the horror episode. Like, is this actually a ghost that's piloting the mummy Gundam, or is it a person? We don't know. In the mummy Gundam, like it had uh, whatever they're called, the fucking gauze dripping off of it, but it like looked so weird, it almost looked like it was kind of gore dripping off the mum the the Gundam. <laughs> so, I think I think I like that one. Yeah, it's that like second cycle of character thing that does better than that first cycle because the show seems to have the structure of like four episode cycles of it does one thing for four episodes and then it goes to the next thing until the second half when like literally it's for when you get to episode 25 until you get to the last like four episodes it's just a straight on sports series gundam match after 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 gundam match like it's only that first 24 episodes where it really like flipped the script every batch of episodes, and I thought that was really, really cool. Um, the second half, I, I still thought the second half was really good, but that's the only thing that, like, it changes that momentum so drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes like, it's like, it's like an exploration element to that first half that gets lost in the second half. Mm-hmm. We sort of know what's going on, but there's a bit more, like, intrigue then and some spy stuff in the second half. We, you know, we meet, um, or we have more of um, Schwartz Bruder, our Gundam mask guy. Oh, our dear old German ninja. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought I thought it was hilarious when when Ink got to those episodes, he was like uh, mentioning uh, Racer X from Speed Racer, and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, because my brain immediately went to Mega Man X, and I don't even fucking know why, but it's the same concept. Yeah, yeah, it's it's totally like like everything that's present present in like a seventies anime is just about present in G Gundam, like right down to the 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 masked mysterious masked person who's actually related to the main character in some very deep fundamental way that you know but it's a secret but oh suspense but like it's totally not a secret because it's totally obvious and because he's yeah. the mask the secret masked fighter <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like g gundam like you have to grade g gundam's plot on a 90s plot scale um what, why why should you grade it on any scale it's just good no <laughs> No, no, it's not. Um, like the, it's not the good. Plot, it's great. You're right. It's, <laughs> You're right. It's it's like really predictable um, and like plotting in a lot of spots. But um, like, but honestly, like this is not a show where you where you watch for the plot. You watch for the stupid Gundams. You watch for the increasingly like this is. I think this is right around the time that Sunrise gets bought by Bandai, um, and I think it's funny that. They have so many Gundams in this series that are so stupid looking and impractical. Um, and I don't know if that has anything to do with like the Sunrise people being like flipping the bird to the Bandai people, but um, it's it's kind of funny uh, to think about it that way. But but you you you're watching this for the robots. You're not watching this for for the plot. Like I was if, watching if it wrong. Watch. Are you telling me I was watching it wrong? Because I was totally all up about like what's going on with Master <laughs> Asia. Uh, that was my, that held me through the whole thing. I was like, "How many more flips is this dude gonna have?" Yeah, I think Master well, Asia is very clearly like the most, maybe the most interesting character in this series, and that's because he was ridiculous. Well, uh, it's 
the what? answer the correct answer is Foon Psyche. Well, Foon Psyche is always good. Yeah, like that that horse always delivers. <laughs> that, that horse is never that horse is never bad. <laughs> that horse is amazing. Man, when when around like what was it episode thirty eight or something when all of a sudden you see that there's a real horse that gets wrapped in the Gundam shit and it's inside the Gundam horse. I fucking lost my shit, man. I lost it. I was like, this is incredible. Most powerful horse in all of Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that there was a horse pirating the horse Gundam. In Gundam. So Chris, is this the first time you watched G Gundam? Alright, so this is gonna this is gonna be uh hilarious. This is the first Gundam series I've ever finished. <laughs> I have watched episodes of many, many different Gundams, and I've never disliked them. I just never finished them. I don't know why. Original Gundam, I'm somewhere in the the late 20s. You know, are you you telling me that you're not gripped by the deep moral (laughs) questions of Serious Man Gundam, Chris, (laughs) and the need for salt? I am, I am, but I just never finished them, and I don't know why. I absolutely. I, I, I'm. I, I got three episodes into Unicorn. I've read three volumes of Origin. Um, so this is the first one I've full on finished to the end. Um, I've only seen the first movie of Thunderbolt. I haven't watched the second one yet. So um, <laughs> and, and it's hilarious because way back when G Gundam was just like all the others. I had only ever watched the first four episodes because the old Bandai discs. That's all they ever had. So I popped in the first disc and was like, dude, that was awesome. And then carried about doing other things. <laughs> well, you, you didn't so, want to watch 11 more discs of the show? Yeah. This, <laughs> this was the, I think this was the second Gundam that was on Toonami after Gundam Wing, even though the production order of those is actually reversed. And you have G Gundam and then Gundam Wing follows it. Um, but at the time, I loved G Gundam for being because I didn't like Gundam Wing that much, and it was so opposite of Gundam Wing that I appreciated it a lot more in the time that I first saw it on Toonami um, a long, long time ago. I think Gundam Wing is the reason why it took me so long to try other Gundams, because I watched a few episodes, and I vastly <laughs> did not like it. See, I'm um, going to say this. Gundam Wing and G Gundam are equally 90s in just different ways. Oh, that's completely <laughs> yeah. true. That's completely true. And and I will I will I will say this and and um just have all the he- the the, you know, the hate mail forwarded uh from y'all's email to to Evan's email. It's fine. Um <laughs> but um the if you take out Talgis and Talgis 3 and whatever the hell the Gundam is with all the mini cannons and Heavy the Death Scythe Gundam Heavy arms, thank you. And like those are the only things that need to stay from Gundam Wing. Everything else can burn. Gundam Wing is trash. But to, to answer your question succinctly, yes, this is the first time I've watched G Gundam to its conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I think getting a sense of what everyone's like, where they come from this show originally is important for how you understand it. Yeah, yeah. Like and this- I, I, I am a really big Super Robot fan. I mean, that is the robot shows that I truly love. I keep trying to watch Gundam, and it's not like I dislike it. It just I just never keep following through to it. So this was this was the Gundam show for me. Chris, you have to sit and watch Serious Man Gundam and do the Thinking Man pose while you're doing it, or you can't fully absorb <laughs> the weight of the philosophical arguments being presented. It's so hilarious because I even have the 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 OG Gundam trilogy movies, and I only watched the first two, which is about like a little <laughs> bit further than I got in the TV series. Like, I don't know what's fucking wrong with me in Serious Man like, Gundam. Honestly, just just read Gundam: The Origin, and you're done. 
<laughs> and you're, that's it. Just read Gundam the Origin and you're done. Like Gundam the I, Origin I is amazing. I just earlier this year. I got to watch G Reco and I you just, don't. I, you don't. Anyone yes, who's telling you? Anyone who's telling you is a maniac and does not have your best interest in mind. Well, Pat's really liked it. <laughs> I know what I, I know. I know what I just said, and I've listened to their podcast. They are, um, Chimino, they are Chimino apologists who do not have your best interest in mind as a listener. Wow! I, I love Ideon. Wow. I love Ideon, and I love. Um, I, I'm sorry, it's it's, but I like Garzi's Wing, and I like what I've watched of Dunbine so far, even even in its absolute bizarre weirdness. I've seen a few episodes of Zabungle. Like I'm okay with Tomino himself being weird as shit so i'm okay um other than g gundam so here, here's here's my recommendation for your serious man gundam read gundam the origin you don't need anything else um for your super robot gundam uh, you've watched g gundam skip everything else and go straight to gundam build fighters i i have watched the first Nate, like 12 episodes of build fighters <laughs> this so is what good. i'm talking about i have watched so much gundam but i never have finished it <laughs> Like Build Fighters is your super robot successor to to G Gundam, like well, like no doubt. I guess what else would you list as like super, you know, quote unquote super robot within the Gundam canon like, set though? You got G yeah. Gundam, you got Build Fighters, and Build and Fighters is Build Fighters is like you you have to strain a little bit to like to make that work. It's super robot in the sense that it, it's one it's built off one giant MacGuffin, but but like nothing is as unapologetically super robot as G Gundam. G Gundam like wraps itself. In the banner of Super Robot, and and like you know, it's a very it's a very pure Super Robot show in that way. The other thing that's kind of Super Robot is the original series still has some of that flair to it, particularly in the middle of it when you get to sort of the weird uh, G parts. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Like after that, kind of they, they they purge the Super Robot elements from it by the time the movies come around. Yeah, well, and two, that's that's part of the the times because Super Robot was robot for so long. You know, there wasn't a serious man robot for a long time. Well, Gundam was the first serious man robot, so it, it had to start from a super robot base and, and morph it yeah. along the way. Yeah. But what, I, what I'm getting here from you, though, Jared, I just I just can't get my head around this, that, that G Gundam is inherently bad. The 12 episodes where they're training in South America with their Gundams sitting underneath waterfalls was amazing. I don't understand you, Jared. Also, the Shining Gundam at one point. Burst out of the Statue of Liberty. How do you not like us? Yes. No. No. What's amazing was they called back to that really late in the series. You see them rebuilding the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> um, got, every four years they blow it up for some reason. They're used to it. Like, like I get inside. I don't uh, care because that's the good stuff. Like what? What I so so older me does not appreciate this the same way younger me did for sure. Um, like, um, it's, it's like a really goofy show. It just gets repetitive to me, um, after a while. And like, it really, like watching it again now as an old, like really drove that home. It's like, oh my God, I'm glad that I kind of saw it like the way I did at Toonami where, you know, I, I didn't see it like exactly in order the first time, you know, and I had to like go like catch up the episodes that I missed and like, you know. But but in, in a in a world today where you kind of you you can sit and watch like 170 episodes of a TV show, um, you know, binging this maybe not the best thing to do. Um, yeah. I, I you know like just like I'm I'm not going to make the claim that G Gundam has this 
really robust, strong plot line with great characterization and great foreshadowing. I mean, it's no, it's not that show. And like people who would come to 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 that show or to this show for that or for Serious Man Robot things are going to be gravely disappointed. I will also say that Serious Man Robot Gundams also frequently are just as bad, if not worse, at having <laughs> plotting uh, issues uh, than G Gundam. So like like I am not here. Like, like I, I am not here to praise G Gundam. I'm here to bury it, but I'm not gonna like bury it hatefully, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I have respect for what it is, and it's really historically very important. Being the first alternate universe Gundam, it sets up a lot of the framework by which every single other alternate universe Gundam has operated to this day, and that's like really important. Namely, you get the 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 you know handsome boys with special Gundams trope. That they immediately parlay into Gundam Wing to a lot of people love, but I I liked it a lot better when they redid it as Gundam Double Zero. Um, they literally redid it as Gundam Double Zero. <laughs> um, you know, you you have that. You have you know Gundams. Um, you know Gundam used to be the a Gundam was like this hyper advanced rare thing, and now they're everywhere. Like everybody, like everybody's grandma has a Gundam. Um, you see that uh, in most of the successor alternate universe series you see that same kind of thing played out um you know shadowy organization doing shadowy things for reasons that aren't clear ever uh until something weird happens um that actually kind of carries over from old gundam but i think it's more emphasized in in future uh alternate universe gundams so like there's there's some things about this that like really like g gundam sets the boundaries for here is as far off the reservation as you can be from serious man, serious issue Gundam, uh, and 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 like still be called Gundam. This is a very which, serious issue. The fate of the universe is at stake here. The devil yeah, is literally we haven't mentioned the fate of the universe and what the devil Gundam is at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, like the thing is, Vinny, like you know immediately, like like here's the other thing that pisses me off about the show is like <laughs> like the opening gives away the whole goddamn ending. Like like the very last shot. Is, but you don't know that when you watch it the first time. Yes, you do. No, you because, don't. Yes, you do. When I was because... 12 years old, watching the show, every school, every day on Toonami, the way it is meant to be seen, it's okay. a cool drawing. For those of us that had a high school education by that point, we watched it and we, we saw, okay, you at the end, the end cut, you're like, oh, there's a giant monster Gundam sitting over the planet. I bet that's the big bad. Guess what? It's the big bad. It is the big bad. And it's still cool. The road to get there, though, is still cool. But like, don't tell me, don't tell me what the big bad's going to be in the goddamn opening credits. If you're a true anime fan, you will have uh, seen the opening and then forgotten it by the time uh, the Devil Gundam actually rolls around because you'll you'll seen it once and then you just scroll your phone now until it's over. But the thing is, is they, they they don't keep the Devil Gundam a secret. They that's that's given to you on a platter in episode six. But they don't give to you that eventually it's gonna like grow into the planet and be like you know the planet's going to be like like stuck to it and like like they they could have they could have soft played that a little I don't know like so, that just so Jared, that always gets on my nerves. I'm gonna 90, I'm 90s you, anime man I tell you 90s anime is the best. We uh, know Jared it's also your lifeblood. I've listened to enough of your podcast and now you are a 90s anime creature. I am. I very much am. I absolutely am. I, so, I, so Jared, I embrace that. I will give you that everything you have said is correct. I understand your critiques of the the plotting, the predictability, the the trope. 
the format, everything. I give it to you 100%. You are, you are correct. But also, let me add, what if it's awesome regardless? And that's the beauty that I found in G Gundam is that it's awesome regardless. Right. Because so it is like, so far off the reservation, as you say. It's so ridiculous yeah. that it's constantly entertaining. You, no matter if you know eventually we got to get to this point in the series, the, the like Vinny said, the journey is still incredibly fun to get there, and that's okay. You don't need every show to be this surprising, oh, we don't know what happens. Sometimes having the plot, yeah, absolutely, Vinny. It, everything that about the plot you're okay with it being understandable it's okay to have a formatted formulaic thing just as long as it entertains you and g gundam does that in spades and it continues to to find new ways to entertain as it moves along that journey and the 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 introduction of the shuffle alliance was like that first big oh what in the fuck is going on with this show um and it just kept getting wilder from there I give it to you, Jared, but what if it's still awesome? I mean, did you ever hear me contradict that it can still be fun and, like, not have a good plot? I never at any point said, like, No, you didn't, but you're here to bury it, and I won't let you bury it in a good way. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's, I mean, it's fine. Like, if you, like, it, it is a goofy thing, and it's, it can be, it can be a fun ride. Like, like, you know, it doesn't, I, I feel like it's too long, um, but that's okay. Um, it's got some it's got some fun episodes in it. I think the Neo Mexico episode is a really good one. Um, I like the Neo Canada episode too. Actually, that feels like we're gonna really try hard to do like a, a, a serious man Gundam plot in in G Gundam, and it actually works pretty well. Um, so like I I am not I am not saying like I think I said Gundam Wing is 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 trash. I don't I don't think this is trash. I just you know like it's the length of it after a while, like it gets repetitive to me. Um, and like, I like goofy things that keep me entertained by changing up the goofiness from time to time. But like, you know, I'm not going to hate on anybody for liking chicken. And I'm certainly, I'm certainly not here to do that either. And I think that's all I wanted to get out of you. No, so I, <laughs> well, I thought I said that earlier, but let me like, wait, like wait, let you, me be you clear. You did, but then the progression of your, your monologues, the, the 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 darkness you could feel it growing you could feel the bile rising you just had to pull it back that's yeah, it's just overrated it's okay so I think the so, I think you're right Kerry this this show is maybe a little bit long for the way that it is presenting its story but I like especially when when I felt that it was really long in the first half I never really felt it was that long because everything was so so episodic but in the second half they're in this Gungam fight and then Dolan basically has to fight every Gungam that he's ever uh, run into you before, and I'm like, wait a minute, I like thought this was a round round. What? Like three times. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And I like, thought this could've... was a round robin tournament part here, yeah, when like, he was fighting like... everybody, and but like, he seemed to be fighting everybody, get everybody else to fight everybody, I didn't really understand what the rules of this was, which took me out of it a little. And there were like, no rules. Yeah. So I was clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it felt really long to me. Yeah, like, I, I think, like, this could have been a really, really like incredible 26 episode show, but we didn't do that back in the nineties. We still believed in really long shows. Um, yeah, particularly with Gundam, you couldn't do that like half that split 26, 26. Right. Yeah. And like, I agree. I just, I think the show doesn't work as well. If you're like watching more than one episode at a time, mm-hmm. like if you're watching an episode a day, episode a week, you'd a slow wash over, not necessarily the, you know, 
bathe in it. Because you see the flaws more when you're watching it, like, two, three, four episodes at a time. Because what I notice is, I kind of mentioned this, like, this four-episode cycle, you'll have, he'll fight this the, the Shuffle Alliance four, then he'll fight another four people, and then we go back to the Shuffle Alliance four again. Like, we keep seeing these this framework of these four-episode links for a while. And even in the big tournament, you see that, where it's four bad guys, and then it's... The Four Shuffle Alliance again. They, they do. They, they really fall into this link of like this four episode block where they have one idea. And they do it for, for four episodes. Yeah, that's a very that's a very interesting point. And I think it. I think like you're like you're saying it. It kind of adds to the repetitiveness of it. That rhythm doesn't ever really change, uh, except maybe towards right at the end. Um, even then, it's like four episodes on the island and four episodes in space. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But those. The thing is, those four blocks are really strong. The show, you end the show on a really good high. Yeah. So, like, let me let me say like one like nice thing about G Gundam, so like people people don't think I'm like just here to to pee all over it. Uh, like G Gundam doesn't give a fuck about what I think. Um, <laughs> like like it's it's not it's not here to please old Gundam fans. That's not its point. It's it's aimed at people that. Are you know Vinny's age when he watched it, my age when I watched it originally, um, and and it's 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 very much I think aimed not at the thinking serious man Gundam audience, um, and and good for it because Gundam needed to do something different and and like understanding how radical a shift this was in its time I think is like super important um, and and it it did it did some things to reinvigorate um, the 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 brand a bit. You know, um, I think this one was more popular in Japan initially than it was in America, whereas Gundam Wing was more popular in America than it was in Japan. I, 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 well, I don't know about that actually. G Gundam, I mean, I feel like Wing has always been pretty popular in both places. You could find Gundam Wing model kits in Toys R Us. Oh, I remember. I bought them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like, like that was like G Gundam didn't have like like Gundam Wing, but also Gundam Wing like was really the first mass entry of Gundam into the US. Like like fans that like, you know, knew their stuff and had like seen fan subs and been to conventions and stuff, like they would be exposed to like serious man old Gundam, but but not before not before Gundam Wing. And so by the time G Gundam comes around the US, it's the second I think it I think it's the second series Toonami did. I think I it's the wrong. third they do, they, in the middle they did the original series. Like in in two thousand they did Wing. Oh yeah. Oh they one did. they did original and then this was the third one. This is the third and last one they did Daily on Toonami. That's a really fucked up way to do it. But yeah, no, you're you're right, Vinny. Like they, they did they did the original they went all the way back to the original series and then, you know, went all the way to eleven with G Gundam. I I think the plan was that they didn't ever actually follow through was do an alternate universe then do a, a, a UC alternate universe UC but then they then Seed got then Seed got popular and they said nope we're just gonna do Seed next there's yeah. some I don't know truth or lore that that switch from doing Zeta as the big push to doing Seed as the big push kind of hamstrung the Gundam franchise as far as toy sales mm. in like 2003 ish yeah so someone at Bandai went no 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 Seed's the big one I have to do that everywhere. But like yeah. Walmart had already put in their order for Zeta toys, but they canceled all of them, and they never bought a Zeta thing, and they never bought a Gundam thing again for a while. Yeah, the the start of this alternate universe pattern really, the UC takes a backseat. You get some kind of one-off projects here and there, like Eighth MS Team is in there, I think after Gundam Wing. Um, Igloo you know. is all after. Yeah, like you get like sprinklings of it here and there, 
only since Gundam Unicorn has there really been a reawakening of like in like mass fan, not not us weird like new type like automatically know all the Gundams when they come out and begin watching them type people, but like in like mass appeal type that layer of the fandom. Um, you see really Unicorn kind of brought you see back the prominence. You also had uh, Gundam the Origin, the manga start to become available, and like there was this sort of. You know, I think that all happened around an anniversary year for Gundam. So, so now you've got more, more things like Gundam MT and, and stuff like that. But, but never like I, you haven't had you haven't had a like two core anime series set in Universal Century since Victory Gundam. Yeah, I this think. is the, this is the this is that that was the last like large large scale UC project. Yeah, everything else has been that prestige tier movie OVA stuff. Hmm. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's been like you know almost thirty years since they've had a UC TV series, mm-hmm. and he'll probably stay that way forever. I'm not I'm not counting the Unicorn TV and Origin TV that are sort of re-edits. Mm. Yeah, I mean Gundam Gundam's like Hello Kitty now. It's kind of <laughs> it's it's a it's a cool Japan asset that will be deployed and redeployed. But I it's I think it's you know again. I, I, I feel like I'm about to be a devil's advocate here because like like for, for the serious man Gundam stuff, like the a lot of the a lot of the creative power of that sort of starts to fade away after I think you could argue after some people would argue after Zeta, you could argue after double Zeta, but certainly by the time you get into the late eighties, early nineties, like that that um you know, Universal Century, everybody's killing each other over and over and over and over again, you know, just eventually plays itself out. And eventually, we need to see other people kill each other over and over and over again <laughs> in alternate realities. The um, Gundam, G Gundam, super super refreshing break from that. I do appreciate all this insight, as I like. I have watched the uh, original Gundam movies, and I have watched G Gundam, and I believe that is the only Gundam things that I've finished. And as Chris said earlier, that this is the only Gundam thing that he has finished. Um, so. Having you, uh, relative Gungan experts to us, uh, helps a lot with providing context to G Gungan, where it sticks in the world of Gungan, and where it sticks in the world of anime. I want to also note that this comes out right around the same time as another radical departure from from a show that it almost feels sacrilegious to to mention in the same breath as Gundam. But Tekken Blade. No, God, I love Tekken <laughs> Blade. Um, Macross Seven, actually. Um, <laughs> You go from Macross Plus, which is the most real robot, serious man stuff Macross ever gets into, to here's Space John Lennon piloting a, a Valkyrie with his guitar. Um, so like, like there was definitely Japan like gets like 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 all like creative cultures like they have these cultural moments where things happen, and I feel like the mid 90s, you know 94, 95, 96 is a time in Japan where you know stuff gets gets a little goofy. And, like, largely to the good. But I'd say a big difference production-wise of G Gundam and Macross 7 is Macross 7 is still has uh, Shoji Kawamori attached to it, whereas G Gundam, you've, that, that is, to me, that was break from the franchise for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, huge it's, difference and important. Yeah, yeah, right. and, th- and this is sort of them saying, you know, no, 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 Sunrise, we'll just do whatever we want with it. It'll be our thing, and we'll keep playing with these ideas that were in the original series. Like this one is, you know, we're still playing with war, but what what if war was very different? What if we sort of gamified war? And I almost feel like Vinny, like just saying, what if we gamified war? Like I think that's exactly 
that's exactly kind of where they started thinking creatively. But mm-hmm. I would almost not be surprised if the next, because we're almost due for another big Gundam series that's not a build series. Um, and and I would not be surprised if it was some sort of, and Build Divers kind of does this, but but I, I'm thinking about it more from like almost an Ender's Game kind of point of view. Like, you know, I would not be surprised if we see another ser- like S- Serious Man Gundam alternate universe that takes that question up again. You know. Yeah, I haven't touched Bill Divers. I watched the first episode and it felt too conflictless, at least at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard anyone say like, "No, no, no this is something interesting and good by the end." Yeah, I, I, I've seen the first episode. I kind of was turned off by the fact it doesn't continue a continuity from the build, uh, the build fighters um, storyline. But um, yeah, I, I don't really, don't really know much about it. I haven't heard a lot about it. Um, I think yeah, only like Tom is watching it, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it just started up again. Yeah, I think he's just watching it to kind of point out the references. Yeah, but like even even those series, to bring it back to G Gundam, <laughs> even those series don't get anywhere near as just balls out crazy as as G Gundam does. They don't get balls out crazy, and they also don't have any sort of like I feel like the story isn't there as much even. Where like with the Master Asia arc in particular, you do see this character who. You know, you think he's the the mentor character, then he's a bad guy, then he's like working, then he's working for someone who he doesn't like and who's like he's rebelling against. Like, yeah, and then you like you find out his sort of his real reason of what he's doing. Yeah, trying to like, yeah. cleanse the earth. Yeah, there is like the, the the plot might not be great, but there is like unmistakably a plot to Gundam. and I think I think structurally. There's there's more there's a plot that is as convoluted as it can get. It it has better internal logic than some of the other Gundams. Um, thinking Wing, but you know, I think I've outed myself as not a Wing fan. So I I won't I won't kick Wing anymore for all the Wing I've tried fans. To, I, I can't, see I have to go back to Wing and it's it's way too like the the twisting is even harder in Wing than it is in this one. Yeah, well like Wing is like a reaction to G Gundam. That's where they would go. Okay, well this alternate universe thing seems to do okay. But we, we we need to get back to serious Gundam. Oh, we we got to be serious man Gundam again. Everybody assume the thinking position, and then like you know, <laughs> serious man Gundam stuff happens in, in Gundam Wing, which again is done much better in Gundam Double O. But yeah, but I don't I don't want I don't want to rag on Wing too much this time. We'll we'll say that for another time. But I don't know if I will if ever. I don't know if I can handle that much uh that much melodrama in my Gundam. Yeah, I've seen two episodes. I've seen all of Wing. I'm not ever watching Wing. Yeah, that other time is not gonna happen on this podcast. I'm not gonna watch Gundam Wing. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way to twist that into a sport. <laughs> Not unless the sport is us watching it and suffering. Like, yeah. the sport is is melodramatic uh, yelling, which this yeah. this show has the best melodramatic yelling of Gundam. Oh, definitely. Like yell it. This is like the yelling attack Gundam for sure. Um, you know, like Chris, this being your your first full Gundam you've watched. Um, was there anything coming out of G Gundam? That kept you that that got your interest that piqued your interest in Gundam in general, or is it like no, nope, this is really great, I'm I'm good here. Uh, my interest has always been piqued in Gundam. Like I said, I've liked every other piece of Gundam I've ever watched. Um, I just need to to hunker down and commit to finishing them. Um, finishing this, I was really happy that I finally finished it. And if anything, it instilled something inside of me that says, "All right, Chris." sit down with one of the other Gundams that you own on this entire shelf and finish them. Like it, it gave me a satisfaction of finishing it that I would like to follow through with the other various series. Um, but there was nothing, 
internally about the the story or the the execution of G Gundam that really reignited or ignited initially an interest into the serious man Gundams. Um, I already had that interest. It was just the satisfaction of finishing it here that gives me a little like a thrill or like a, a desire. Um, but there's nothing about it either that keeps me away from it because I know that G Gundam is singular in its super robotness. Um, so there, there's nothing about it that I like that I'm like, well, I know I'm not going to get this elsewhere, so I'm not going to, to go there because, well, yeah, I, I already knew that. Sweet. Yeah. You know, like another thing too, is like, this has probably the happiest ending of any Gundam. It was amazing. I loved the ending of this show so much. <laughs> so, so, so much. But, but we, we, we're, we're, we're all talking now and it's all serious talk. And I just want to get back to the human faces appearing on the faces of the Gundams when they're doing whirlwind attacks <laughs> and how amazing that is. Um, the, the, at the end of the series, when the entire Shuffle Alliance, they just became their giant Gundams. And the fact that the show doesn't try to make you convinced that it's just a projection, that at some moments you think, wow, did they literally just become giant Gundams themselves, is part of the beauty. I mean, they do have that, like, skin type suit that's like, apparently very painful to get into, that they control the Gundams with. Like, it's not a... Uh a uh, joystick control <laughs> system like uh, all the other Gundams seemingly are. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that like a lot of the fast-paced action, I this I thought this was a, because of, because of the 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 suit system, I thought that this was the smartest thing Imagawa has ever done to save money. Instead of animating the giant robots punching and kicking lightning fast, they just have it be the people. And you know. That's pretty innovative, in my opinion. Like, if you got to save a dollar or two, and besides, the Gundams, if you want to see them fight that quick, it's not going to look cool. They're so big. They're so clunky. Like, I felt that that was a, a very interesting way of showing the intensity of the action um, and providing that intimacy that you get when, when actual human beings are fighting in anime. Um, just so many interesting things that Imagawa does that is so weird. But it's weird to the benefit of the show, I think. Yep. God, nobody wants to talk enthusiastically. Fine. We'll just go straight to it. G Gundam is racist. Well, like, hey, thanks for giving us, like, an entire half second to respond, Chris. That was – that. thanks for that. <laughs> Take a deep breath and let Vinny say what he's going to say. No, I think no one – Imagawa is the best at saving a dollar since, like, Osamu Dazaki. <laughs> And then doing that in a beautiful, dramatic way to keep your attention and keep the tension of the story going. I mean, obviously, sort of Dazaki did that for sports anime originally, like, you know, Ashino Joe and a name for the ace. But those techniques are still there. And Imagawa is great at, you know, having a frame, having the music. And we have not said a word about the music in this entire show. And I think it's probably the best musical piece for a Gundam thing overall. There's these great insert songs. You read the, the background music is fantastic. The one that insert the song work. that's about going to the grocery store and eating sandwiches or some <laughs> shit. Yes. There's some there's weird some songs in this. I also like the the like pilots' faces showing up where their Gundam face should be thing a lot. Um, you, you know, like the show does not take itself seriously either. Thank God, which I think is probably one of the things that makes it enduring. Um, as it is, um, it's um, it's it's it is it's it's got a much lighter heart than like so many of the other uh, Gundams, and there've been like 
several spinoffs. None of them animated, I don't think, but like several spinoffs from this in like manga form and, and stuff like that. So it, it it seems to definitely have a a, a following, um, even like not even just uh, abroad, but but in Japan too. It looks like Imagawa did a bunch of them because like Gundam's been doing this thing where they'll have the original creator do retell the story in a manga. So I would love if someone put that out over here. Was there a Gigunga manga? I mean, there's always a there's always a manga like one that came out with the franchise originally like '94. Yeah, but it's, I think yeah, it's, it's only like three volumes too or something. Really. Yeah, it's 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 unreadable. It had how fast it goes. I'm serious. Though. Three volumes for this whole story isn't enough to tell it. Well, yeah. You're losing anything cool about G Gundam if you're telling them three story, you know, in three three volumes. Uh. Well, we need Egg to bring that over for us, just so we can get Apparently, the undecipherableness in English. It was brought over. It was. Oh, yeah, uh, I have it. Oh, was it? Okay. okay. It's yeah. okay. I mean, it's in my parents' house right now. Right. I'll need to read it, or I'll need to find it and read it, and then be really confused. I think we also need to discuss the final attack. Yeah. Because it is it is the only time in Gundam history that I think Love Love has ever been used in a final attack. <laughs> it's because G Gundam is the only one to know that love is the way. Yeah, that's fair. The Sekiha Love Love Ten Kyoken is the best attack in Gundam. <laughs> it literally is because it it wins it it wins the day against the the big bad. And like if when they... I'm feeling sad, I will watch that on YouTube. <laughs> that's I like awesome. I like how like after the the final battle and as a, as the show is wrapping up in the final scenes, they have uh, the unlikely hero of uh, the non shuffle alliance people, Kirol, who is like <laughs> trying to kill Domon earlier in the show. Uh, he pilots the Mangala Gungam. He's from Neo uh, Nepal. Um, oh, was, the assassin. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. the blind fighter. And he brings together all the Gungams at the end to fight in an Earth alliance against the Devil Gungam. And then he and Allenby make a little heart for uh, for Domon and Rain to fly through. Infant Psyche. It's a very strange, uh, strange moment. She's real good with her hula hoop attack. Mm-hmm. And the hair, when it turns into the spiky dreadlock hair on the Gundam. Was, <laughs> uh, Nobel Gundam is fantastic. So now that we're... Some, uh, I was just going to say, there's some Gundam designs in here that are, like, really dumb, but there's some Gundam designs in here that are really amazing, and Alan B's Gundam is one of those. It's both. Yeah. So now, that, now that we're getting into it, do you, do you all have a favorite uh, Gundam design from this series? I mean, other other than Nobel Gundam, I would have to say I, I still I still really like uh, Neo Canada's Gundam, man. That lumberjack Gundam is, <laughs> or Timber Gundam, isn't it called Timber Gundam or something like that? That's that's a that's a solid Gundam of the main shuffle alliance folks. I'm kind of partial to Bolt Gundam. So you just like your Gundams big and thick. He likes big Gundams and he cannot lie. I mean, this is back when we still had the Kuni Okawara designs that had that chunkier Gundam design that I liked. Sort of the at some point like around Seed, I think they become a lot thinner in the way they're mm. done. Yeah. Like I like that Kuno Okawara sort of like chunky gun. Just in general, from like the original stuff to towards the whenever we stopped doing it, like that chunkier, thicker Gundam. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm sitting here thinking and like um, Stardust Memory, the uh, the Gundam unit, like what is it? I forget which one. The new one. I forget which one is the heavy. Like if it's either zero zero one or zero zero two, but whichever one is the one with the giant freaking shield and it's like just just chalky and like has all the missiles and the nukes and everything. I that I really really like that Gundam like amongst all Gundams. That's a good that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's another fun one. I like um, Ashura Gundam from Neo Singapore. It's with like the six arms and oh. has eyes on its chest. That yeah. is a cool one. 
It was only that around for like a couple of seconds, wasn't it? Doesn't matter. It still looks real cool yeah. to see. This is this is why you need those technical manuals to look through. <laughs> like Vinny, when you were when you were on on Twitter um, talking to to me and, and Corey and Dana when Gundams came up, and you were like the Hurricane Gundam, the Nether Gundam. I had to go back, and I was like. I know I saw the damn windmill Gundam, but like I don't remember it actually being used. Oh, that's because it was only in like the five minute pre-opening fight with <laughs> with the Zeus Gundam or whatever. It was also I was in like, the end. Jesus Christ! So many designs that barely got used. It, it shows up later, doesn't it? Like at the end. Yeah. No, there's forty yeah. of them. Oh yeah, but that's it. Like you you don't get you don't get uh, a match where you get to see the Gundam do anything cool and. Mm-hmm. And see what it can do. Like, there's so many of those Gundams that just like came and went. Like, I bet if I went back and rewatched episode 25, like half of the Gundams that they show parading around <laughs> Hong Kong at, at, at the start never even show up. I think most everything's in the final battle. Yeah. Mm. Like, if Plus you're looking more. hard. Like they have mermaid Gundam prototypes, and there's like a crab Gundam, and a there's some other sort of fish. There's a whole Gundam. bunch of like different other fish in there. Yeah. yeah, it's just like you could spend your lifetime looking through what's in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. The, um, our friend Tom was um, like freaking out, like, "What is this Gundam?" And he couldn't figure out what it was. He eventually realized it was the Scud Gundam from Neo Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it appears briefly. The Scud Gundam appears very briefly. Maybe not even animated in the f- episode two, being defeated by Neo America. Oh, I, I do remember that. Oh my god! Like yeah, the 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 very stereotypical Gundams are like some of. I mean, like some of them are still like really like cool looking and and funny, but like ugh, Gundam Master got this, what a disaster that thing is. Oh my god, Gundam so hilarious. <laughs> It's great. It's, it's, it's so It's dumb. so bad, you can't help but respect it. It crams so much different, like, startup into it. Yeah. And there's even, yeah. like, dumber versions in the um, Super Robot War games. Where does that cowboy hat? I think um, the Shining Gundam and the Burning Gundam are pretty influential designs that I think you see a lot of the same. You know, it's definitely an evolution of your standard Gundam, but it. I, I think you see a lot of design cues in both of those Gundams that you see in, in Gundams in future series. Um, or they're outright like modified, like Build Fighters, one of the one of the main characters in Build Fighters has a or Build Fighters Try has a uh, has a custom uh, burning Gundam. Uh, I find it interesting that the Try one is also called a uh, Try Burning Gundam. It's not a Try God Gundam. Yeah. Yeah. Guess they wanted to stay away from religion, but they they culture was not uh, was was not off limits except maybe the Abrahamic religions or something. I don't know. It, it's 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 weird. I don't understand why they why they made that change. But, um, this is uh, Shining Gundam is also really good in uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam too. Actually, hmm. I mean they kind of reused the the Shining Gundam within the show a few times. Like if you look at the chest piece of the God the Devil Gundam is the same thing, and they just palette swapped to make Rising Gundam and gave it new weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think of the like more traditional Gundam designs. I think I think I I did like the God Gundam the best just because it was like the biggest and the baddest. Um, but I I loved the the goofy designs the most. Like the the Nobel is probably the best. Um, but I loved the Mummy Gundam and the Mermaid Gundam was cool. <laughs> <laughs> the Mermaid Gundam was super cool. Um, 
but yeah, no, that Mummy Gundam, that, that was it for me. My heart, love, and heart. Uh, <laughs> I'm very fascinated by the uh, the Mangala Gundam's design. Like, it doesn't have, or, I mean, it has legs, but it, I, don't, I don't think it really shows the legs ever. It's under this giant skirt thing. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a bell, yeah. in my mind. Mm, yeah. Like, it can... Uh, insert not insert um like pull itself into the bell like a turtle or whatever uh yeah i really like the mangala gundam's design and uh i i agree with you garrick the bolt gundam is my favorite of all lands gundam yeah there's there's just really neat like innovative things they do with designs of g gundam even if they don't go very far like this is really a series where they're like all right boys go nuts and they did <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely like um of the Shuffle Lines, I'm a fan of this, the kind of goofiness of Rose Gundam. Like a cape and a hat. All, the Gundams, so with big. The, all Gundams with attack bits are 30% better. Like, like yeah, any, to a point. Any, any, any Gundam with funnels is, like, so good. <laughs> See, I don't like funnels when they start, when it's just like someone standing around and there's funnels going. I still want you to fight while there's funnels flying around. But yeah, like, he at least, like, has a rapier and he's, like, gonna, gonna hit you with funnels while he rapiers you to death. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there's something to be said there. But. Speaking of the Alliance, fucking, I loved the original Black Joker design. Like, where it had oh, the, yeah. the, the, the jester hat as the, <laughs> the, the crown. And I had literally, I had messaged Corey. I was like, dude, I really dig this Black Joker design. And he's and he just posted he goes, a, he posted a reply uh, picture that was just like some character doing a shh. And like, as soon as he did that, they all fucking died and blew up. And I was like, what? And then I, I kept waiting for, like, the rest of the 35-some-odd episodes I had to go. Like, where is... Are they going to bring this back somehow, some magic way? When the new Shuffle Alliance became Shuffle Alliance, were their Gundams going to magically transform to more appropriately represent their cards? But no. No, the Jester hat of the Black Joker Gundam was lost forever inside of 15 minutes. I was very upset. Honestly, all the Old Top Alliance Gundams are fantastic. Yep. <laughs> like, these, like, weird card-themed Gundams. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, that's what King of Heart means. It makes sense that was, now. That was a revelation for me, too. Corey was like, <laughs> but he was called the King of Hearts. I was like, that could mean fucking anything. This is anime, all right? <laughs> yeah, this isn't, you know, you, Samurai Deeper Kyo level, like, ah, oh, the five the five card masters. <laughs> <laughs> It does feel like they're just like they were making up on the fly tonight with the story in the show, though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like we, they need another episode that week, so they're like, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. Let's just fight yeah. this thing. The Shuffle Alliance. Okay. I wish I wish I could have been in the writer room when they were like coming up with. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's not how they do it, but humor me. Uh, like the writer room where they're coming up with like the different Gundams for that week. <laughs> like. What what is Canada known for? Trees and maple syrup. Okay, we make a lumberjack Gundam. Got it. Well, see, you know? you're you're leading right into like the 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 dark heart of G Gundam, and that's the horribly racist undertones. It's not meant to be like mean spirited. Undertones? Not well. It's not meant to be mean spirited. Not so much undertones, but it's just not meant to be mean spirited. But it's so fucking stupid. Like is that's exactly it, Jared? They said Mexico. Oh, they have sombreros. Um, and tequila. And tequila. <laughs> tequila. Yeah. Oh, India. They have the snake charmer people and the and the weird um, turbans. Like and he's yeah, green. That's, Why is he yeah. green? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, man. Who? 
Wait, like wait, that, wait. that's how they did most, if not all of the Gundams, like Neo Holland. Oh, he's a windmill because of course that's what Holland has is windmills. It's <laughs> it's Norway like it's it's like they like had a like a Japanese encyclopedia Britannica or whatever that analog is and they just opened the picture up to like whatever the first thing they saw for that country and they went that's what we're doing. Yeah. And it's like but you're right like it's really you know I think that's another thing that really kind of took me out of it like rewatching it is like just oh like how, how you know, just bad that can be. Yeah, it, it's, it's so entirely tone deaf. Yep, it's like it, 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 tone deaf to an incredible extent that just makes it funny, sort of. Even though it's terrible, but it's still it's, funny. It's funny the way you need to like warn someone about though if they're not like primed for it. I wonder if you if you like told someone who is uh, knowledgeable about racist cultural depictions and they're like, so the show really rules, but also it's kind of racist uh, or really racist. Uh, it's aggressively racist yeah. at times. And then they watch it and they're like, I did not think it was going to be this racist. Yeah, I knew you could be that racist. It's it's like it's like an assault on your sensibilities um, if you're not yeah, if you're funny. not prepared for it. Yeah, it, it, I like the way how the, for American audiences, especially the show really eases you into it because the you get uh, Neo America in the second or third episode. And as Americans, you just looking like, yeah, Americans are that fucking awful. So it like brings your your guard down for when these horrible stereotypes just start rolling in. Um, yeah, that's true. And I mean, the gun, the, the, the Neo America one is such an amalgamation of different bullshit <laughs> that, like it's just like I mean it literally looks like they just like went to a sporting goods store and put together a Gundam, you know. So it's not like it's 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 kind of it's kind of culturally stereotyping, but it's not just as actively racist as so many of the other Gundams are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I mean I feel like we're kind of ignoring the, at the end where like you know uh, Douglas MacArthur is the one who tries to bomb Neo Japan essentially. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> what? And the one who like activates the Liber- Statue of Liberty Freedom Cannon is Douglas MacArthur. Oh my God. Corn cow pipe and all. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's, I mean, it's the one that's just indiscriminately shooting at this thing. Oh boy. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. We, we weaponize our, our Statue of Liberty on space. It's great. <laughs> In the Manhattan battle area. <laughs> Shall we uh, jump over to questions? We have 17 for Jared, so. <laughs> There are questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Basically, okay, sent a list. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. I've done I've done two podcasts this morning. This is the second list I had of Basil questions I've gone through. <laughs> God, God bless you, Basil. <laughs> All right. So first from Isandra, um, how is Shining Gungam just conveniently chilling in Niagara Falls, or how does it get inside the Statue of Liberty and bust it out and destroy it? Like I think someone, I think whatever remains of the U.S. would have opinions about this. Because it looks cool. That's all that matters. That's that's the point of G Gundam and the super robot genre. It's awesome that it just erupts out of Niagara Falls. Yep. It's awesome that it bursts out of the Statue of Liberty. Very much agree. Yeah, I mean, G Gundam just doesn't care. Yep. And I don't think most shows should care. We need more of this. All it wants is, is it the coolest thing possible? Mm-hmm. That's, and that's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> Like Chris has it right. He has the right spirit for this. We're, we're Jared and I are like trying to put too much on it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, second question for me, Zagura: How many drugs did they give Master Asia's horse to tolerate pregnancy? 
Nothing. He's just the best horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Funsaki was if Funsaki was allowed to compete on his own as the the champion of like Neo Horse Landia. <laughs> Funsaki, this would be a very different show. Funsaki would win, and that'd be the end of it. yeah, yeah. Best best Gundam horse ever. All right. So uh, final question for Mizanga. I'm not asking silly questions like which Gundam is best Gundam, which is obviously the Noble Gundam, and then. Clink, clink, clink. Uh, came in here after it says Noble Gungam is very good, but you're obviously underselling Fish Gungam and Nether Gungam. We've talked about. We have Alrighty. a Viking Gundam and a boat. Yep. The space the, boat the, flies in space. The real answer is the Gundam that's inside your heart. The Gundam so, in there. Like, to cut it out. This is totally not Gundam related, but like the Viking that's part boat and all that shit. I, I was watching some Ultra Seven yesterday, and there's a dinosaur whose bottom half is attached to a tank, like that's its natural form. Um, and I think that we should now have an Ultraman Gundam crossover. This would be this would be the next level. I think that's where we need to go with the, the next G Gundam style, is we need to just cross it over with Ultraman and all the kaiju. I'm disappointed they haven't done any sort of, like, figure-scale crossover with Gundam over all these years. Yeah, the, um, the creator, the director of, of G Gundam said he was never going to do a sequel. Like, even if there was a an animated sequel, he wouldn't be involved in it. But um, I think that is exactly where you go with a sequel is is bring on the kaiju because mm. you know what what else can you do with a super robot show except bring in the kaiju at this which point? which is hilarious because that's what super the super robot genre was founded on basically with Mazinger Z those it's all kaiju versus the robot right yeah like you've come full circle and and as many seventies anime tropes as this just outright steals like. I'm really surprised it doesn't do that. I mean, you can make a case that that the the Devil Gundam is doing that, um, and it's the only time you have like any kind of undead in uh, in, in Gundam. Uh, but but you don't really have like outer space, you know, like outer space Ultraman type villains show mm-hmm. up ever, which is strange. The Gundam is very focused on sort of humans in general. You don't really get a supernatural element, other than obviously like new types. It's been surprisingly grounded as a franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't ever really stray far from like ESP. You know, like even, even like other, even, even other kind of reimaginings of the new type trope, like coordinators in in Gundam Seed, are still basically that's that's they're still basically like ESP people. You know, they're not. Um, yeah, you don't you don't have any like you know psychokinesis or any like. Out and out superpowers, um, you know, except the super martial arts in this show, you know, arguably. But yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm really glad you like this as much as you do, Chris. Like that's that's awesome. Like it's just like I I don't know. It's been with me a long time, and I guess now I'm just kind of like, eh, but kids like things. Well, dude, I think I, I watched was... it like the best way possible. I alternated between sitting down and actually watching it in Japanese, and then. I would um, work on sleeving my movies um, with it on the English dub. Like oh. I alternated between those two modes. Like I would just be like, I'm in it with the yes. Japanese, and then I'm multitasking with the English. Yes, I I, I got through my rewatch uh, while I was painting a lot of Warhammer miniatures, and um, I got a lot of painting done. Uh, and I that was a good way for me to engage it. Like. You know, like when I when I first saw this dude, yeah, I was I was over the moon about it. Um, you know, 
Um, and there's still there's still a lot there. There's still a whole lot there. I I, I still can't believe the racist stereotypes. Like I straight up because I never got that far before because I only saw like the first disc, so I saw the first four or five episodes. I messaged Corey. I was like, "The fuck is Mexico a floating sombrero for?" <laughs> Yeah, I totally forgot about the other colonies that are not Japan looking like just complete bullshit like stereotypes. <laughs> I completely I think my brain like just like just deletes refused, that. Yeah, yeah. Just refused to acknowledge it. But but it just it, it the the series like it just coasts by on like as Vinny put it, you know, the most awesome shit humanly possible that it's so easy to just be like, God, that's fucking awful, but God, it's so cool. All the same. See, I wonder if some of the hatred for this show comes from the fact that it delayed Giant Robo a little bit because it was made in the middle of Giant Robo. Mm. Yeah, could be, could be. I mean, if I have to pick between this and Giant Robo, I go Giant Robo every time. Well, that's not a that's not a question. Jeff. Well, yeah, I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we can all agree here. If, yeah. if we have to kill one of them, we're killing G Gundam. <laughs> yeah, yeah G, G Gundam leaves the island, and, yeah, we, and, love, and we love and it, Giant but Robo we don't love it more than Giant Robo. That's uh, OVA. No, Giant Robo, Giant Robo is super is super special. Um, it also really, has one of really my favorite character Blu-ray, designers. Yeah, I hope that Blu-ray goes on sale during this any of the right stuff sales this year because I still need to get the Blu-ray. I want to upgrade those DVDs so desperately, but they don't include Ginray OVA. Why did they not include the Ginray OVA? So they, oh, they said this at the panel at um, Tony Khan. Um, it was a separate license. Ah! Tony Khan. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I'm calling that from now on. Um, I forget what it's actually called. I'm calling it Tony Khan for right now. An- anime lockdown. Anime lockdown. Uh, but I, I, I knew exactly what you meant, and I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> back. Shall we get back to the questions? Let's we get should. back to the questions. Right. There's some good material time. in there. you got to listen to it. Yeah. From, uh, from Wandering Dreamer, if y'all like to pilot Gungam, what would your Gungam's gimmick be? I mean, so so just to, to get a clarity point of clarity here, this is, this Ooh, is if we it. had to pilot a Gundam like in the style of G Gundam, uh, or be in a Gundam. That's the, I would say within the style of G Gundam. Yeah, the impression I gave is in the style of G Gundam. Uh, okay. Because G Gundam's the one with all the crazy, crazy Gundams. Yep. Should we link it to where like where our geography is, like where we're from? No. Or do we want like this to our, our lives? We would just be yeah. Neo Canada, Vinny. I no, no as I said in, our, in the tactic before, I am from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I am in exile in Minnesota. <laughs> I love how you worked that all the way back in here, Chris. It took you. <laughs> Took you a while, but you got you got it done. <laughs> you got it done. Um, I, I'll, I don't mind I don't mind stereotyping myself. Mine would be some sort of stupid rebel Gundam that its special ability is it loses, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad it loses. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think my my Gundam would be the slasher Gundam, as in from slasher horror movies. That you're, you're in the fight and you can't see me. You don't know where I am, and you turn around and I'm just standing there, and then. You turn around, and I'm there. And you turn around, and I stab you, and I win. So you're almost uh, Spiegel Gundam. That would be rad. <laughs> like like a Jason hockey masked Gundam would actually be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I think my Gundam would be shaped like a corn. Uh, and you peel away the, uh, the green parts <laughs> of the corn. You reveal the corn cobs would shoot like the Rosebix. Oh no! I see. I was imagining more the Gundam itself is the corn cob, and like the arms and the legs are the peeled green um, shit. Maybe that is how it works. Us. I like I like how you went with funnels there, Corey. That's that's a strong choice. <laughs> you'd be instead of a cubelay, you'd be a corn belay. 
Right, so from X-Basil time, uh, so for the tournament arc, Yasuhiro Imagawa took a team to location scout in Japan. A, did you notice? B, G's water power move. I didn't given notice. That, given that it was super like derivative on every other nationality they did, I think it's hilarious that they actually location scouted places in Japan so they could get Japan absolutely perfectly correct <laughs> while like like shitting all over everything else. Um, That's a power move. <laughs> definitely yeah. a power move. <laughs> Number two, what was your favorite weird Gungan? And the, the uh, answer is obviously the Neo Hollings Gungan. Oh, oh, yeah. The one where it's like attached to a boat, and we don't ever <laughs> see it have legs. <laughs> I think it is the boat. I, th- I think that Gundam is the boat. All right. So. And the boat flies in space, too. Like, that's not, like, you see it again, <laughs> still with the boat and like, the oar. Ink will need to uh, break this guy. Uh, number three, how well does the crazy martial arts action translate into giant robot battles? Perfectly. Yeah. Absolutely perfectly. Like one of the one of the big critiques I have about mecha does, mecha gaming systems right now is that you can't do this in like all of the big like like mecha combat systems. They're like not very cinematic, and like that really annoys me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with what Chris was saying earlier, and that uh, translate or putting them into the suits and having them fight from the suits as well as from the Gundams just makes it incredible and amazing. Right, so number four, does your hand glow with an awesome power? No. No. It burns with the, the heat of the burning sun. I've got the thing from uh, Yakata Japan where my hands get warm so I can knead dough better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so number is, five. is that a sports show? Yakata yes. Japan, probably. Probably. I feel like I feel like Yakitate Japan is definitely a sports show. I think it's like the, the sport of making the best bread. Yeah. I mean, we, if, if we if we if we allow food wars in some capacity, we have to allow Yakitate Japan. Food wars is absolutely a sport. Yeah, the food war. Yeah. Uh, number five. What does your or what kind of power does your does it glow with? I think we answered that. Bread making. <laughs> it, probably the power of like shitting on Gundam is mine. Probably. <laughs> Even though I don't mean to, kind of, but I do, but I don't. I have very conflicting and mixed feelings about Gundam. Number six. What was your favorite twist in the story? The uh, where the robot spins and twists like a tornado with Master Asia's face attached to the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite twist was the shuffle lot the old shuffle alliance showing up and their and their robots looking like so ridiculous that it was actually good. Um, that was my favorite twist. Because I thought that they would probably, like, even even seeing it the first time, I thought they'd probably eventually show up. I had no idea they would look like that. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kiral showing up for no obvious reason at the end. Like, him being the savior of the world. Like, him being the savior at the end of the show. And that's the assassin guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was... I That 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 hit me. I went, I, what? What? Who? <laughs> I brought everybody along. I got your back, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. That's very, very, very confusing. Um, uh, basically, anything involving Master Asia is my favorite twist, because there were, like, 50 I mean, that, twists. Yeah, that's plot. Really His plot is just constant. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah. Think, I think actually even the final one, where his goal is to save the Earth. Yeah. Destroying By humans. I mean, I, right I'm now. on board with that at this point in my life. Yeah. He literally, he literally ends up being Char Aznable. It's mm. real weird. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven, why can't more Gundam be this good? Because they don't got the balls. They're too they don't serious. deserve it. There are good Gundams. Um, they they tend to be in the serious man genre, and they're they're not like 
a lot of them, but this one's not bad. The Gungan Build Fighters, where the I'll... character Rumble Brawl uh, was introduced. Yes, yes. Gundam Build Fighters is actually secretly the best Gundam. <laughs> I mean, the real reason is that no one wants to give Imagawa money because they're all fools. Hmm. Someone I don't know needs to become why. a billionaire and give Imagawa money. <laughs> everything he's made is so good. Yeah. But everything he's made doesn't do well in Japan. Yeah. Uh, last question. What do you want most from this show made into a toy? And, uh, I mean, this is a Gundam show that was an uh, peak toy era in the 90s. Uh, I don't think there's anything that was not made into a toy, probably. I, mean, I think you can get most of them as models, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think... Maybe, like, maybe not Jester Gundam, because that one has that weird noodly arm shit. <laughs> Suck it, Ink. You're, you, you like evil things. <laughs> he likes that, that horrifying clown. He loves evil clowns, it's Ink. I love Ink, but he likes evil clowns. That scares me. Yeah, he he thoroughly. I know he told me he thoroughly enjoyed the the Chibity Crockett backstory for that very reason. That was, he was <laughs> kidnapped by a clown. That was so fucking. Oh my funny. god! Of course he would. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I maybe like I the spaceship that Argo has that like we don't really see too much. Oh, true. Like Argo's space power backstory. I'll just bring it back. I want the Mummy Gundam. Both of them. Mummy Gundam 13 and Mummy Gundam 4. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's close out this episode. Uh, where can we find everybody on the internet? Uh, you can find me at, at @vinnyavagc uh, on the Twitter on Twitter, and you can find my podcast at uh, allgeeksconsidered.com. And you can find me and my controversial opinions at Jaylane Nelson on Twitter. Um, and you can also find me uh, on Old Talking No Radio. With my partner in crime, Inc., we literally yesterday just recorded a show on memories uh, with uh, Corey, actually was on uh, as our guest host. And um, we've got a Patreon miniseries on Space Brothers that we're wrapping up really soon uh, called Old Taku in Space. Um, having a lot of fun with that. And uh, just go to anygamers.com for all kinds of good stuff, uh, including the Any Gamers podcast as well. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at GoKoofy. Uh, you can also find my YouTube channel that will have uh, new videos coming shortly at uh, Cups of Night Films. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at FrogMoths. All right. You can find me on Twitter at PassionK. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. That's T-A-I-I-K-U. And you can find all of our episodes over at TaikuPodcast.com. Uh, thank you all. For coming on to this episode, talking about G Gundam, we missed you, Ink. I think I think Ink did take you up on that offer. It's just like I guess I'm not, I'm not going on. <laughs> Ink was I, uh, killed by Devil Gundam before he could make it. Yeah, I did not gather from his tweets that he disliked it, so <sighs> we missed you, Ink. So we've been watching baseball as it has come back. It's back. Uh, the Orioles are, are 500 in late July. You know, yeah. I'm just I'm just saying, <laughs> phrasing it like that. Not that it's two games into the season. <laughs>
Uh, the first the first game they're, they're facing boston the first okay. first game of the season they like just got absolutely thrashed like before i could even attempt to to <laughs> turn on the radio broadcast of the game they were already down like 10 nothing and i was like i'm just gonna do something else i derive no enjoyment from this <laughs> oh, yeah 13 2 that's not sound like yeah, a reasonable brutal. score oh there's just i mean you know they're deliberately trying to lose so it's hard to hard to I don't even know. Like, they're starting a guy named Wade LeBlanc today, which just sounds like a made-up <laughs> beta player. Last year, his ERA was 5.71. <laughs> uh, his uh, career, let's see his career stats. Uh, da, 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 da. Things are going well in old Baltimore. Career stats, a oh, 4.46 ERA. Yeah, career yeah. reliever. I'm not sure why we're starting him, but hey. <laughs> you, you should say the Orioles are 500 in mid-July. Tied for first in the AL East. Tied for first. Yes, they are. For right now. I think the Royals have been, like, beating up Cleveland, too, so I don't know. I th- I've just pulled up the standings. Right now, the entire AL East and AL Central are both five-way ties for first, <laughs> as well as five-way ties for last, as it works out. It's just going to be It's going to be such a quick season. There will be no momentum. Like, you'll just suddenly, and the season will suddenly end with 16 teams in the playoffs. You'll be like, oh, I guess they're good. <laughs> Or I guess they're bad. I mean, they're doing it to guarantee that, like, New York, Boston, L.A. all yeah. don't miss out through fluky circumstances. Even then, they could, like, be fluked out of the playoffs by an eight seed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the, the Orioles are legitimately going to be in the playoff hunt until, like, the last 15 games of the season, no matter how bad they are. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be looking at the standings like, oh, we're only five games out of the eight seed. We can do this. Oh, Good news for the White Sox, though. They could sneak in under They really could. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything happen. Yeah. But even then, like, some of the, for the White Sox podcast, I listen to just like, is this really going to be breaking the eight-year playoff crowd if they get in under 500? Yeah, it's just, it's not even going to feel right if your team's, like, 25 and 35 and they make the ALCS. You're like, yeah, we don't really deserve to be there. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, it is exactly one year ago that we went to the, the ball game at Otakon. Oh. I have to say, be very thankful it is not this year and we're going to a game at Otakon because I was outside at 7.30 this morning trimming some flowers off these basil plants. I have like 85 degrees, just suffocating humidity. I was like, I'm just, this is brutal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> been. Tonight, like, tonight would just be, we'd be like a dripping in sweat just sitting in the stands. <laughs> Are you, you can, at Eastern Time or Central Time? I don't know Alabama. I am Central Time. Ah. Because isn't like the demarcation line somewhere in the middle of Alabama? No. 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 You're thinking about Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know these the South States. Tennessee is like a giant log. And basically the eastern part of Tennessee is in the eastern time zone because it sits over top of Georgia. Georgia, the, the, the state line between Georgia and Alabama is the dividing line between Eastern and Central Time. Um, yeah. 
one of the many divisions we have. Not unlike uh, Minnesotans and Wisconsiners, apparently. <laughs> the two most hate the, the two like most hated people in the world. I mean, we we like cleave to the ancient tribal traditions of solving all of these all of these conflicts every football season. Um, you know, if there is a football season. I mean, there's an like annual game between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Wisconsin wins most years, and they have the axe. Mm. But I have seen the axe in person when we had it last last state fair. I like I like the concept of the axe. It's Paul Bunyan's axe. Whoever wins the Wisconsin-Minnesota game gets to have it for the next year. It's air quotes, Paul Bunyan's axe. It's not actually Paul Bunyan's axe. No, it's also, it's also not an actual Paul Bunyan. It's the real Paul Bunyan's axe. Look, man, the real Paul Bunyan was a bad dude. He was awesome. He had two axes. He attacked three times around. He was he was really fierce. This is all in my history book, so I know it's true. Are you making his stats right now? Because the way you were saying that was clearly like, you know... Here's just a stat block and oh, I mean, I already, already like statted him out in fifth edition, like in my head because fifth edition's easy. So he's clearly a barbarian, um, half of the totem warrior, uh, bear totem barbarian, um, clearly, <laughs> obviously, or perhaps, perhaps an ox totem, which I think mechanically would have the same benefits as the bear totem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't taken it any farther than fifth edition. I could. I could get into RingQuest if I had some time and a spreadsheet. Just gotta open up Excel. Yeah, yeah. I could do Rollmaster if I had time and a spreadsheet and a degree in theoretical <laughs> mathematics. No one does Rollmaster. What kind of maniac are you that you even bring that up? Man, I, I came up playing Rollmaster. What you talking about? Willis? God, I've only heard about it as you know as something to be feared. Like if you build a spreadsheet for Rollmaster, <clears throat> where it calculates the formulas for you for mm-hmm. Your group skills, and then your specific skills, and then your your offensive bonus and defensive bonus, and all that. I mean, eh, it's it's easy when you like have something else do all the math. Well, yeah, obviously, that you know, the way of computer games. It's insanely complex if you do it otherwise. I mean, they made they made a Rollmaster computer game. They really did. It's called Skyrim. Exactly the same. <laughs> RuneQuest is actually a, a a similar like that is actually a simpler Rollmaster. It's also real. RuneQuest is really great. I, I like RuneQuest a lot. Um, the third edition of RuneQuest is the one I play the most. <clears throat> it's good stuff. Um, yeah. Sate, minasan, iyoyo wakare no toki ga yatte maidimashita. Watashi ni wa mou nani mo setsumei suru beki koto wa nokosarete imasen. So, kore ga saigo no Gundam fight. Minasan go issho ni ready. Well, there's a lot of things that shouldn't be done the way they are, but none of us are in charge. Not yet. Not the New World Order. <laughs> That's right. Mm-mm-mm. Do you think mm-mm to the World Order or mm-mm to the chicken? I'm pretty sure it's to both. <laughs>